0: Thanks for joining us for another episode of Fire to Fire. As always, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Dr. Brian Paul and the very talented RJ Ellis. We have a super, super exciting show for you today. I'm incredibly excited to have our guest on. Um, The first and likely one of the only non-makers that we'll be bringing on the show ever. Um, A true hash connoisseur in a sea of people faking being hash connoisseurs, Um, multiple time cannabis cup judge, Pioneer of lab testing in cannabis at a commercial scale. And now the founder of 800 pound mantra, a solidless consulting company. W- without further ado, we'd love to bring on Addison, AKA Turpova.
1: Addison. Turf Bay. Welcome brother. Thank you for joining us, my friend. What's up, man. Thanks so much for taking the
0: time, bro. I think you're muted. I got him. I got you. No worries. There you go. There you go. So I'm a, uh, I'm not gonna lie. I did. I did a little bit of research, and uh, so what? I what we usually do to start off the show is just you know we want to learn more about you, where you came from, what your beginnings were like that that brought you to this point. So, um, born in in Silver City, A.K.A. Christmas City, Taunton, Taunton, Mass. I uh-huh. you know. I I know what you mentioned in in previous interviews you started smoking in '88, so that's 33 years ago. Um, was that with your brothers or like? Tell us more about that first experience. Did you get high? What What was that Damn, like?
1: that's putting us all to shame, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm old, man. That's. I think <laughs> I, I turned I turned,
2: uh, turned forty eight on February sixth. So, uh, yeah, but long time ago uh, in eighty. So I have two older brothers. So my my parents, my family is a mix of two families coming together. So my dad had uh, a daughter, a son, and they were older. And then my mom had. Uh, two daughters and one son, so they came together and had me and my sister. So now you have uh, seven kids in this massive uh, group, and on all, and all you know, at, at different ages too. So because they were older, my dad's kids, they were kind of out of. They were out of the house by the time you know I, I became conscious of what was really going on, and then, but I had two older brothers. So one of them had already left the house. My other brother, uh, Jimmy, also left the house. But I had like these two older brothers as an influence. So. Um, it was like, uh, I think my brother, I think it was a conversation where it was like, hey, you know, I was complaining about having to pay for weed because I would buy weed for my brother. And he was like, well, you know, why don't you buy some weed and then sell most of it? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, this is an interesting concept, but I still didn't even know what that meant. So it came, It finally came to the point where he was like, look, just take this whole bag. You know, it was like an eighth. He's like, take this. And it was brick weed. It was trash. He's like, roll this into as many joints as you would, as your friends, you know, feel are acceptable size and then go sell those and then bring the money back. And he kind of introduced the concept to me. So I was able, able to get an understanding of it. And then, I, I, you know, after that, it was like, oh, wait, this is genius, you know? So, if, and then Biggie, you know, came out with the song, like, don't get high on your own supply. There's all these, all these things that just kind of dropped. So it's like, it helped out a lot, but.
0: Was it like an instant love connection where, you know, at a young age, you were like, oh, this is for me and I'm with this and this is, you know, this is it going forward? Or was it sort of a slow roll where you.
2: For all the wrong reasons. Yeah, yeah for all the wrong reasons, just for like, because it was like I was the youngest of seven kids, too. So I wasn't really getting bankrolled on a lot of shit because there's so many kids. So it was like when I started selling weed and and got good at it, I had money and then it was like, oh, I could just buy you know, school clothes. School clothes were one thing because you know my parents were like, car. you to get school clothes, and it would be this, this minor event, and then I could be like, well, you know. So it was it was all for the wrong reasons. But at the same time, I lived in uh, when I was at that age. I had moved up to uh, uh, up to um, Newton in Boston. So by then, it was kind of like, you know, around a lot of kids played sports and stuff, and kind of gravitated toward like the stoner kids that played sports. So. Was always able to sell weed, it was never a problem. But um yeah, those were good uh those were good days. Like I had I think right after that, um I got in trouble. You know, I was just a crazy ass kid. So I got in trouble and then was a ward of the state uh to DSS in Massachusetts and then went into like group home shit for like, you know, two or like two and a half years.
1: Real trouble, real shit.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, like real, like you know, like incarcerated as a in, um but i mean i laugh about it now because it's like you know i can laugh about it but there's a lot of good things that come from it like i i'm I'm really neat and clean because of that i think and like you know i'm like institutionalized in that sense when i was young um but no it was uh it was a it was a pretty pretty dark and shooty point in my life you know especially being a kid and then the whole reality of it that like you know if you are a ward of the state then like your parents are essentially giving you to the state so it was kind of fucked up but um, no, I mean, I've obviously not, not in the group home anymore. So, uh, but yeah, there was a short period of time where I did that and then went back to, to Newton and finished school. So
1: do you think uh, that structure in the long run was beneficial for you?
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. That was the only structure i ever had in my whole life.
1: I, um I did military basic training when I was uh, 17 and oh, cool. um, I, I don't know, I don't know why I did it, but. I always say, like, that was the thing that made me, like, very specific and very, like, I don't know, built in that structure as far as, like, knowing what you have to do and getting it done. So it's interesting to hear someone that's on the flip side, not necessarily on the, you know, whatever. I got,
2: I got super lucky because when I exited the whole thing, they had this uh, Knowles Outward Bound program. So I was able to, like, benefit from from that shit and then learn you know learned about all kinds of different cool ass shit and went on these really cool trips and and then exited uh you know because you graduate from these programs eventually uh and it was just like yeah it's weird because i gravitate now towards like a lot of weird military podcasts and like highly structured weird shit that's just uh i just feel more comfortable i I don't know it's like being a lab rat that like gets to be free and then you get old and you're like you know what i kind of like this little fucking lab rat space though But yeah, uh, so I think after, you know, grew up um, smoking pretty young, but didn't have any, no boundaries whatsoever, like was just, I was able to just like get done with sports and then go to someone's house and then just go home, whatever. It wasn't like I was expected to ever be anywhere or any of that stuff. So, but what's cool about that too, is that I feel like I've always been free my whole fucking life. Like I've been able to just. You know, kinda kinda do different shit. And I've done like crazy stuff in the sense where, um, after I graduated from high school, uh, I left and didn't see my family for like five years. I was just like, you know what, I feel underappreciated and went on like dead tour and fucking, <laughs> and you know, went on like further tour with friends and, but actually ended up meeting like some of my really good friends now and like it's put me into like really interesting situations now from those days even more. But that's what's kind of introduced me into that culture and just sort of, you know, then now now what I saw was I was like, well, wait a minute, this is a fucking traveling city that just goes and there's all these different levels of vendors from ho- wholesale down into retail and just, you know, my brain always worked that way. So it was like, we went and did tour. We were like, you know, having fucking, <laughs> you know, boxes shipped to, mot- to hotel, motel eights and like... <laughs> Oh, the t-shirts are in. And like we were fucking going hard. So it was like, you know, I got to do that shit and and did that. Uh and then uh had a blast doing that shit and kind of learned that culture. And then eventually just uh came back. You know, at, at that time I went out to Boulder and, and lived in Colorado for some time and then met some of my good friends now that I still work with, like James Fuchsives and a lot of those people, and just, you know, just traveled and do whatever the hell I wanted just kinda of had a blast and then Finally settled down in California in uh, 1998.
0: So. From what I understand originally, a lot of that or some of that travel was motivated by snowboarding. So when did, when did snowboarding come into your life? And, and when did you start, start doing that seriously or taking that seriously?
2: I mean, snowboarding is one of those things where like, I think it was roughly the early like 1990 or something when the first, because we had a, by my house, we had this really big snow, uh, sledding hill it was a giant hill that was off like the side of this uh, across from where our our school's campus was and everyone would go sledding on snow days there so it just sort of turned into you know one year when you get there like some dude had a snowboard and it was a burden, and it was like oh fuck what's that and and then it kind of sparked the whole you know early on kind of sparked the whole like idea of it but then i'm a kid living in, in in boston you know living in newton there's not a lot of places to snowboard it wasn't you know really a reality for me so um as i got older i had friends though that were from vermont and places like that and i got to go and you know and had skied at first and kind of enjoyed that Um but then when i went to colorado uh, i just started snowboarding a bunch of friends and i was athletic and i just was uh i was able to just kind of you know i was better than the people that i was learning with and i just got you know felt like i was like oh my athleticism transfers over to this you know i can do this i did gymnastics and played football and ran track and did all the other shit when i played sports so i think the gymnastics really helped. um and yeah i just uh got into snowboarding Wait, what What kind of gymnastics did you do i did the floor um i did floor i did the the what's it called the um not that the uneven bars is like women and shit but i did the floor and then I Par- did parallel the, bars parallel bars yeah so I did that mostly, you know, mostly floor. That was like what I liked the most, like tumbling and just getting into that kind of shit and had, had a blast, like had a fun time and then transferred a lot of that shit over to trampolines and learned how to like rage trampolines and have fun like that. So when I started snowboarding, um, I just liked it. It was it was cool and I could do it. Uh, when I got to Colorado, there was a lot of opportunity to do it. uh,
0: what did you ride addison were you riding park or or pipe or backcountry or i like
2: backcountry the most i like like big mountain riding and just kind of getting to get to just use the whole thing and have fun but uh, a lot of my friends were uh riding park and fucking slaying park and just getting crazy and you know i never was super comfortable like getting big ass kickers and it all seemed so produced you know like oh okay well if that dude was feeling this way that morning and so, you know, it, it just was really kind of weird, but I, I preferred just, you know, big mountain riding, just kind of gnarly off a knoll, and kind of fucking ride and just have a lot of fun, uh, just moving fast. That was the thing, like going super fast. And so when I got to uh, finally left Colorado and got to California, um, I was with uh, the girl that I was with's parents. Her father worked at UOP. He was like the, the head of finance or something at University of Pacific in Stockton. So when it came time to for her to like go back to school, she's like, oh, I'm going to go to UAP." So I'm like, well, let's go to Stockton. And I had known this rep uh, that I had spoken to, uh, who was a rep for Rossignol Snowboards. I'd known him and he was uh, he lived there in Stockton. And I don't know how I knew him. I think I knew him from like, he was on like a business trip in Colorado or something. And me and my friends had met him. And he was a pretty relatively cool ass dude. Like, I think we just met him somewhere and he gave me his card. So I had him up. He lived in Stockton. so. Um, I talked to him and right away, you know, I'm there in Stockton. I just left Colorado. I've got a bunch of, like, you know, money that I brought with me because I stopped trapping in Colorado and came. I didn't know anyone in Stockton. I'm you know, kind of like, all right, like, what am I going to do? And I had time to snowboard, so um, I hit him up. He got me into some some gear, and then uh, he and I were talking, and he's like, you know what, you should fucking, you know, you should, like, get a, sh- a job at one of the shops here so you can meet other reps and then try to get sponsored like he's like you know you're pretty good at snowboarding you should do it and i was just like whatever man you know this this that sounds cool oh a job that i can like cover up my other shit with like fine you know i'll be that guy in Stockton. like that sounds cool so i just went ahead and took the job and and start working at this uh snowboard shop and they didn't i don't even think they wanted me to work there at first (laughs) they weren't even like they're having the fuck is this guy um but i've but the owner or the guy that ran the place was this portuguese guy uh greg santos who's super cool and he just gave me a job let me work there and then by working at that snowboard shop i got to know other reps and then got like you know a, from that guy ron Depp got like a regional sponsorship and and then was on some like you know quote unquote like regional snowboarding teams and things like that and technically you know was never like a a featured professional snowboarder or any of those cool things but Um, you know, got to like get, get, got to snowboard with a lot of like really good snowboarders and go on crazy trips and, and do a ton of shit and have a blast. And then quickly just started working with the companies. Like the people that I knew from those companies were like, you know, what, you'd be really good at sales. You should just fucking come and And I just worked promotions for DC at 686 and, uh, and worked with skin dog for, and did Volcom stuff with them for Volcom snow. And I just had fun and, and loved to snowboard. So they pretty much just. I was a rep for 686 and, uh, and DC working for Terry Campion. And then I would get to just do all these other things. And we worked with, uh, I actually worked with Ron Craig, the, the rep that helped me out when I first came out and worked for, for, uh, for Rossignol Snowboards for a while and had fun with, like worked closely with Christine and like their whole team. And, and then Omar, who, uh, Omar Saar, uh, Omar Saar works in, in cannabis now, but he was working with Rossignol as well. He had the same job that I had as like one of the tech reps working with the company. So, But yeah, snowboarding, I, I haven't snowboarded since my son was born. So I should probably go at some point, but I don't think it, I don't think you really forget how to snowboard. So uh, I'm not too worried and I'm in better shape now than I was then. So I'd probably do better at snowboarding. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think me and Alex from Resin are going to go this, uh, at some point.
1: So. so how long ago was that? Was the, wh- when was your son born? I was going to ask you about that later on.
2: He's uh seventeen now,
1: oh okay, so. yeah, that i' I'm almost in the same boat. I don't think I've actually like skied or anything in almost like twenty years. Yeah. And, uh, it was just one of those things where it was just just didn't wasn't part of my life. so actually, to that end, best hill, best mountain, best run that you've had in the world,
2: oh, ah, oh, man, I'd have to say, mammoth for sure, you know, like Mammoth is one of those places where you would get to go on the right day. Or be there for the right reason. Um, Utah is really nice too, but uh I'd have to say California, probably Mammoth.
1: Yeah. So, was- <laughs> Coach Brucey is disappointed in us for not skiing and snowboarding anymore because he is a uh ski and is that a ski coach, professional ski coach.
2: I'm down to go. I just like I have so much, you know. There's so many things that I'm doing now, and then like I went, I actually went and pulled a bunch of gear because at that point, you know. You're, you get so much free shit and like dope ass stuff that your friends are working for companies. And, and I had like all the greatest shit. And then I broke my stuff out now and I'm just like, oh, you know, I got some 32 boots and some some Volcom pants and like what I shit. I'm like, oh, I, could, I could just go snowboarding pretty easily. So um, I think I have a full setup and yeah, I'd love to go. Like I definitely, it's not something that I've, I've purposely been like, nope, you know, gonna lay off for, for 17 years. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, it. I think I'll have a fucking blast actually. So,
1: and you I was going to say, it's not cause you stopped because of injuries. Cause you were like busting ass in, in the half pipe or on like, um, you know, some of these massive, like hundred foot jumps.
2: Uh, those are, I mean, I've, I've had some big ass jumps and done some fun shit, but not consistently and never got a name for those types of things ever. It was like, I was in snowboarding. I was probably better known for like having really good weed than like anything else. Like in that community of people, that was probably the, because that's the one thing that I, that was always been a part of my identity. You know, so what I, I was going to say, when I when I graduated from high school uh, in Newton, um, or I was in Newton my junior year and my parents come to me at the end of the summer uh, before the school year starts and they're like, hey, we're moving to New Hampshire. So, uh, you, know, you'd like, you know, you probably want to either like, you could just like move in with a friend or something or whatever and I'm just like, <laughs> So my sister, uh, I was actually like, not sure what I was going to do anyway. And my sister lived in Fall River and she was like, you know, if you want, you can live down here. So at least you have a place to live. Uh, and then Durfee was in the big three, which is one of the bigger divisions uh, for sports, for high school sports down there in Southern Mass. So I, I was like, all right, well, you know, and I was born in time. And I'm like, you know, Fall River's Southern Mass. So fuck it. So I went. And my coach that I played sports uh, with in Newton knew the coaches down there and was like, oh, yeah, I could totally, like, you know, open some doors for you. And, and he's telling me, he's like, you yeah, have a better chance of getting a scholarship if you go down here. So I transferred to, Dur- to Durfee in Fall River. And uh, as I, I started going to school there, and then I went there for one year, walked on and, and played football with them, and then, and then ended up doing really well in track, which is just kind of weird because I, I ran track before, but I was never, like, great in track. Um, and then when I moved down there, I started doing the 200-meter. And then at the 200, I was really fucking good. So uh, so I ran the 200-meter um, and then went to the Nationals with them that year, which was really cool, and then got a scholarship offer for uh, Salva Regina University for football hand track, which was pretty dope. Uh, but when I went to the school there, I you, know, you, you, you check in early, you go in, and you're in the football program. It was their first year ever having males. It was like this all-female none derived university that finally the start started of a porn movie no this is real like this is crazy shit and listen to this so it's it's in newport Rhode island and it's and it's based in these mansions on the fucking shore in newport Rhode island and it's this dope ass university and it was the first year they were going to allow men so i think they you know they were they were open to like having this crazy football program and they invested a lot of money in it and they also had a new track program for men so I got brought in on a scholarship for a split scholarship for both. Um, but I fortunately, and yeah, when I went, right. So I'm, I'm selling weed, like going crazy, you know, all the way up into like football camp, like everything. And then as soon as I, you know, my brothers, my one brother's like, listen, like don't blow this, you know, just go there and fucking and take advantage of the opportunity. Don't sell weed. Don't do this shit. And I had quite a bit of money saved up. I'm like, you know what? I'm with you on. That's what I'm going to go do. I went there with that intention, like fully. And and accomplished it, too. Like, went there, had nothing to do with any of this shit. I'm walking back, and there's a lot of scholarship athletes that they brought in that were from all over the place. And Rhode Island's a pretty rough place in some areas. And there's this kid named Otto Quay, who was a, um, I think he was like an outside linebacker, but really cool-ass dude. We're walking back to the, after after practice, we're walking back to the dorms, and then going to go and eat with everybody, and then we're going to go back and watch films again. I'm walking with them. There's these two girls with them, and. Uh, We go back to the dorms, they go into the dorm. I stand outside. I'm like, you know, whatever they come out, Otto comes out. I see Otto, we go and we go on our way. Two days later, I get called in by the, by the university. And they're like, oh, you know, we want to ask you about some stuff. And I'm like, sure. And I didn't know this. None of the football players, none of the track guys knew this, but they're, the fact that they had opened up their, their um, roster to men. And done all this stuff. They had some people on the board that weren't really happy about it at the university. So they were looking with a lot of scrutiny at the football players and other guys that were coming in. And now they have these fucking savage men coming into their campus. So anyway, um, I got pulled into the office, into this office, and I go in there, and they're like, Oh, hey, you know, it's uh so wanna ask you some questions. And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck this is. I'm like, all right, maybe they do this to all the college athletes, whatever. Because I'm not aware of this of this other bullshit that's going on. And uh Right there, they're just like, yeah, did you, you know, did you go by the dorm a couple of days ago? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, do you know who this girl is? And I'm like, I don't recognize the name. There's two girls. I don't know their names. And they're like, oh, well, uh, they, these, you know, these girls said that you sold them marijuana and I'm like, no, I don't. And they sell anyone marijuana. Like, That's... And then, then the question is like, you know, if someone came to you and asked you, you know, you know, would you be able to tell them where they could get marijuana? And I'm like, this is a college campus. Like, yeah, of course you could. Like, you know, that's what college campuses are. You know, so, so I'm honest. I answered their questions. I leave. And they kicked me out of the school and pulled my scholarship and said that I, because they busted, what happened was, is the two girls got busted smoking. One of them had a family member that was like on the board or something. So try to get her off. They created this whole scenario where it was the horrible drug dealing fucking football players and uh yeah we was like sacrificial lamb. so when this happens this is why i'm telling this whole long story so when this happened at that point literally i was like you know what i'm just meant to trap like i'm not meant because i didn't do anything you know Ooh, yep. at that at the moment it was like it a was a sign, sign from god <laughs> i was annoyed by the trap lord at that moment it was like yep. ding ding, and i was like all right <laughs> i'm do anything in life I'm, I'm just gonna get in my lane and do what i do best and i just At that point, just, um, left there, went out to Colorado. Uh, you know, actually it was a more interesting journey. I I left there and then went to Arizona, went from Arizona over to Seattle, came from Seattle back to New Hampshire and then went from New Hampshire to the Bahamas and then was in the Bahamas, oddly enough for like, maybe, uh, maybe like four, four to six months. Just, just having a good time or what brought you there? just no one of my friends from arizona had a deal with uh club med and when i was in high school we all worked at a bakery our friends one of my friend's parents owned a bakery so i knew how to bake so when i went and was looking into this club med thing they're like oh we'll hire you know baker any baker experience will actually you get more money and you get all this cool shit And i'm like "Fuck!" and it was me and a bunch of friends were like let's go like <laughs> So my one, our one buddy, Chris was like, was a, a, uh, he was a clown, like a circus clown for them. And he went to like circus clown school and shit. He was just a fucking crazy ass dude. Very cool ass cat. But yeah, that's, that's how I got into the Bahamas. Went, went to, went down to South Florida with Club Med and then went through their program. And then, and then they're like, all right, you know, you're going to get, you're going to send you somewhere. And they just sent me to the Bahamas. So I was there, um, for probably four months. That's awesome. you know, Maybe like four or five months was just worked in, in, uh, in the Bahamas and then left the Bahamas, went to Colorado, to Boulder, uh, stayed in Boulder for, for a couple of years. And then from there in 98, I moved to California. Uh, and then in, I think in, uh, yeah, in 98, I moved to California in 2008, we founded Steep Hill. So,
0: but let's, let's rewind a little bit. Cause there's, there's the Oakdale natural choice collective that you had a, made a big role in. So, um, can we talk a little bit about that? And, and, you know, what prompted that move from Colorado to California and, and then how quickly did you become involved in that collective and how did you become involved with that?
2: Yeah, so that, so before Oakdale natural choice, there was a dispensary, um, that was in Modesto that was owned by, uh, Luke Scarmazzo and, uh, uh, Ricardo Montes and that dispensary, um, I was, uh, working with those guys and essentially you know, providing a lot of the, the the medicine that was going to that dispensary at the time. I think it's been longer than, uh, you know, statute of limitations. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I had been, you know, one of, the, one of the providers for those guys based on like a, a network that I had. So um, when I got to California, I got into production, distribution, transport, uh, got into, you know, my buddies had a grow shop. So I was, you know, figuring out that like, oh, there's these houses I can rent and I can have this Fake landscape company, and I can do it. okay, and you know, so I, I incorporated myself in that way, and kind of was doing that, and then just learning. Got was taught how to grow indoor. Uh, learned a bunch of different stuff. Got into the you know the cannabis culture that way, and then after doing that, um, I, I ended up uh, you know deciding like, all right, you know what, man, like this is great. You can make a shitload of money, but you know, I was going to the dispensaries in the Bay, and I was selling everything to the dispensaries, so I knew BPG. I knew, you know, all, all the dispensaries that were there, we were the ones that were coming and actually vending a lot of the indoor um, and, and a lot of other people. It was, wasn't just me, everybody. Um, so, you know, you get your OCBC card in Oakland and you go and I like, put your paperwork up in like 20 houses <laughs> and you fucking bang out, you know, and that's and that's what a lot of dudes did. So, um, so I was growing my own stuff, providing medicine for that dispensary with those guys because they were, I was in Stockton, they were in Modesto, which was like, It was actually like a nice short little drive, back roads. You know, you could tell if you were being trailed. And that was kind of the time when like you laid fucking low. So let me go do do some drop-offs, do some stuff with these guys. And I knew them. Well, they got raided. And once they got raided, I knew their whole staff. I knew a lot of people that worked there. And I knew both of them really well. They got raided and just had the book thrown at them. You know, one of them got 27 years, uh, 22 or 23 years. The other one got like 22 years. And one of them was uh, exonerated by Obama, but the other one wasn't because he had a, uh, I think he had a previous charge that, that prevented him from being exonerated. So, um, or that's what they had kind of said. So he's still in prison now, but hopefully uh, Luke Scarmazzo gets out soon. Uh, It sounds like they're kind of, you know, smartening up on some of that stuff, hopefully, especially with so much legal stuff going on. It doesn't make sense, but um, so they raided those guys. And when that happened, um, a lot of the workers that were there, a lot of the guys from security all the way into intake, into the front people. You know, I knew everybody that was there because I was so close to those guys. Um, Just shortly after, I was like, you know what? I I think I like woke up in the morning and I heard on this local radio station that Oakdale, the city that I lived in, because I had moved to Modesto. uh, I moved to Modesto, uh, met met this girl, moved to Modesto, had a kid. And just got out of Stockton altogether and was like, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna settle down in the country. <laughs> and, uh, and anyhow, uh, you know, quickly met a bunch of good people in Modesto and, and was kind of doing my thing there. And then, uh, after they got raided and, and everything went down, I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. I think I'm gonna, you know, uh, I, I woke up and I heard <laughs> they were like, oh, Oakdale doesn't have, Oakdale's the only county, you know, in Stanislaus that doesn't have a moratorium on cannabis dispensary and it was sort of a a joke that like you know it's because it's so deep in the county no one in their right mind would fucking try to open the dispensary here and me my dumbass, i'm like oh i'm going down to city hall and getting a fucking business license today so i went down there and got a business license for oakdale natural choice collective and then like the next day i'm looking for a location and you know 25 30 days later uh, I'm getting the, the walls put up and, you know, and then I think 45 days into it, we were ready to open, had a business license and we we did a cannabis dispensary there because I, I had so many contacts and connections and friends like Etienne who owned BPG and and all these people that I knew that had dispensaries. And so I knew how to do it legally, even to do it legally to the point where if you came and raided me, I was going to sue you and win and we would have we set precedence and changed law. That was kind of what was in mind at, at the time. It would never be in mind now. I was just a fucking idiot. But um, I was almost like, oh, this is a lottery ticket. I'm going to pick it up like this, is, you know, in my mind. And so I, I opened the dispensary. And then I think like maybe like 45 days into it, they raided the dispensary. They raided my grow that was in Oakdale. They raided all the employees' houses. They fucking, you know, went nuts and went crazy. Uh, luckily, um, you know, it wasn't my first rodeo. So I was able to, you know, had some assets and things. You know, it's uh, the funniest thing is when they raided me, I had a bunch of weed inside of the the grass catcher bag inside of the 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 lawnmower in the garage, which is like the greatest place ever to keep weed if you have to. Um, but yeah, so I had a bunch of weed in there. I had like 30 pounds or something. They raided my fucking house, did everything. And then I got home and I'm like thinking, you know, like I went right to the garage and I'm like, yes. And it was, you know, nice pervs that was there preserved and helped me kind of get my footing. So. Um, but, and that's what helped me get my lawyers and all my other shit taken care of. So here I am like, this is what's crazy. So I, I get released, I go and I find this weed and I, I'm able to kind of do these things. And then maybe 10 days later, they came and raided. they came and fucking arrested me again. What? And they're, and now they're coming to arrest me for the dispensary charge.
1: Sounds like just harassment now. Oh, uh, total fucking harassment.
2: And then we're talking like good old boys. Like this is Oakdale, California. They're like, Oh, really boy? We're going to teach you, boy. And you're like, all right, bud.
1: You and your marijuana.
2: Yeah, you know. And at, and at this time, I'm educated on what the law is. And I've seen cases set precedents. I've seen counties get flipped. And I'm just like, all right, well, I'll be the spearhead. Let's, you know, and these dudes are just eating it up. Like, this is a gateway drug, boy. And like, you know, fucking, I was like, oh, this is going to be an easy one. Yeah. It, it took six years. So it wasn't easy. But what happened was, is uh, they tried to cripple me. Obviously, you know I had that uh, the weed there. I was able to pivot. I also had uh, Ed Rosenthal helped with uh, with his program that he had for like uh, California. You know, people who had been raided and stuff like that. And that that actually introduced me closer to Ed. Once I met Ed and his wife Jane, they they brought me closer to like Jeff Jones and Tom McCormick and Dale Garinger and a lot of the activists that were in uh, in California and Berkeley at the time. Like you know, directly connected to to you know San Francisco and the big scene that was kind of coming out of there. So uh, it was nice. I, I had, and then, you know, seeing Etienne, who was an activist but also a dispensary owner, that kind of helped me because here he's like, "Oh, shoot, you got a case." Oh, okay. And he respected me because the weed was great. and then he was also on the activism side. So it kind of helped out a lot. And then Rob rage, uh, being was my attorney at the time. And uh, so Rob rage actually came to me and was like, "Hey, you know, I've got this other. I've got a guy on the on the board." Of the medical cannabis association that i think you should meet with um and he's like you know i can pay you to be the 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 i don't know what the fuck i was i was like the president of the medical cannabis association and it was just a way for like rob to like give me two thousand dollars a month and let me like get more deeply rooted in activism so i can kind of use that to help with my case so i'm living in oakdale but uh moved over to oakland and was actively working for MCA and met with David Landpack, who uh, ended up being my business partner in Steedpill And we just were brainstorming about different ways to be able to raise revenue for the Men of Cannabis Association. I mean, every association at that point wanted to introduce standards into the cannabis industry to fucking, you know, to do whatever. And uh, we were just part of one of those groups with the MCA, but it was really well connected with a lot of different activists. So Dave and I, because we came onto this through MCA, Um, we're sitting there thinking of ways to raise revenue. And the idea was like, oh shit, we should, we should raise some funds and just set up our own pot lab. (laughs) And Dave's like, you know, Dave's smart son of a bitch. So he's like, oh, gas chromatograph mass spectrometer. Like, oh, agilent, like agilent's right here in the bank. I'm like, like he would be a merc lab dude's fingers went crazy. And Dave just starts deep diving in and he comes back to me and he's like, you know what? Like, we're just sitting there smoking weed on his farm in Mendocino one day. And he's like, we can do this. Gonna, and he's like, I'm going to show you how we can do this. And I, I went up there and spent the weekend, spent a couple of days with them. And we just went over it. And, and in my mind, I'm like, you know, we could do it, but you know, Dale Garinger, Jeff Jones, uh, a lot of the, the Bay area activists, they had all gotten together and done some tests on tea uh, and some bang that they made uh, bang tea, tea. And they tried to get it tested and they weren't able to get a THC percentage from it. And we figured out later on why. But um, anyhow, it was because the THC binds with fat, and they weren't able to separate the sample to, to get it prepped to be able to actually do the test. Anyway, um, so we heard about this, this crazy time when they tried to get stuff tested and they couldn't do it, but we also knew who El Soli was at, at you know uh, NIDA, which was, you know, in Mississippi. They're testing fucking cannabis for the DEA. So you're not going to tell me that there's not methodology. So through Ed Rosenthal uh luckily Ed's close with with them uh Ed and Jane and I went to Ed and was like hey Ed you need to fucking hit up El Soli and like Ed just gets on the phone and calls El Soli and next thing you know we've got like confirmation that what we're going to do is actually possible and there is methodology and there's Sigma Aldrich and you can get standards from Sigma Aldrich but you got to watch out for this and so now we're like onto something you know and then the other cool thing is we're sitting in the fucking bay so we're in the 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 birthplace of counterculture in the United States and we're also in the in Silicon Valley, right there. So there's a lot of money, a lot of counterculture activists at the time, like John Gilmore, who was from Sun Systems, who was very close to Debbie Goldsberry. When they heard about our program, they just came to us and were like, "Okay, well, we're going to hire a chemist." And and they put Paul Daly, who was with Sasha Shulgin. Paul Daly came in and wrote all the all the methodology for the testing that we did. So we it was like a weird fucking woo, like mystical. Like, no. How important was Paul, was that piece was
0: Paul Daly to the, to the major. Yeah.
2: Major. Cause before that we were, you know, before that it was really me and Dave with a really great idea, a lot of the public support and a lot of the industry support, but BPG and Harborside were paying us to test their cannabis and the numbers are coming back so high and out of range. And it was just at that point, if we didn't have that support, we would have never gone off the ground to the next phase. And that was when, you know, BPG had to kind of, they had their own internal stuff going on and all these fights. So Harborside just was like, you know what? And Steve, you know, being Steve, he's like, I want to be the exclusive, the master of testing. So so Steve got involved with us, really came to save the day too. I mean, I, I love Steve. He came and helped us and, and put the money behind the initial part of the program and brought us to England to meet with uh, a bunch of different. I mean, Steve really got behind it and really supported Dave and I and supported it and helped us keep the whole thing together when we were in Emeryville. And then eventually we moved right up the street from Harborside, um, cause that was our primary customer that we had. But then at that point we, you know, I got to test my ability as a sales right all those years in surf, skate, snow. And that's what I did for the company at Steep Hill is I, you know, I was one of the, I was the founder with Dave Lampak, Uh So he and I had founded the company together, but then I did all the branding, sales, marketing, Uh, for the for the entire company so that was you know all the sales that came in every account that we locked in Um, and I just was like all right I'm gonna I'm gonna build loops which I'll break out to regions and I'll list all the dispensaries in that region and I'll go to the furthest one and work my way back and sign up accounts and main main maintenance those loops and I did the same thing that I would do if I was a search gain snow rep selling fucking socks so um, but it was wheat so it was something that I already knew and like a lot of the dispensaries I knew and I had relationships and what was cool is at the time, there was no testing, there was no THC percentages on anything. There was no mold testing, no pesticide testing, nothing, not at all. There's a really cool article from East Bay Express um, that was written by David Downs before he became cannabis industry David Downs um, that outlined Steep Hill at the time. So when I, whenever I meet people who try to be like, oh, this lab was first. or so that, I'm like, actually, the internet was alive and well. You can go to this article, and this is the, it talks about the first cannabis testing. But I mean, actually, outlines Dave and myself, and everything that was really happening at the time. And like George Bush was, it was the stupidest thing to ever do because George Bush was kicking down fucking doors of dispensaries and going hard. And me and Dave are like, how do we, you know? In our mind, we're like, how do we come up with something that's going to protect us? It's like you're the only ones testing fucking weed. You're not protected. You're actually more of a target. It seemed like so. Um, but we, you know, we got help and a lot of guys made it happen and and we were able to launch it and became the first to do, you know, potency testing, the first to do mold testing, pesticide testing, residuals, uh, other labs popped up, you know, Josh, who was with Steep Hill, uh, left Steep Hill abruptly and went and opened SC labs. And so it was really a cool place, a really dope, uh, a lot of, you know, I learned a lot, you know, from all kinds of things, especially with. I got paperwork on my desk here, uh, you know, founded Steep Hill, worked there for six years, you know, commuted three hours uh, minimum every day for, you know, four of those years and uh, really put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into it. Owned 25% of the company, was one of the founders. And I have some paperwork here now that shows that to date, I own roughly a thousand dollars for for my efforts in Steep Hill because of just crook ass investor, you know, people coming in and you think about it. Cannabis testing is such a great idea, but the main reason why I got out of it, the main reason why I'm not even going to fill out the paperwork and claim the thousand dollars, I don't, I don't care to roll those dice anymore. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather be like the guy who fucking spent the Bitcoin on pizza and he could own Manhattan. Like, I'd rather do that asshole than the guy who, who actually fucking gets the thousand dollars.
0: Hundred percent, hundred percent, bro. Yeah,
2: it's a story, man. It's, it's, it's just you know. So I, anyhow, uh, steep hill you know, and in the big picture, what it became was a great idea, which entices clean investors because it's on the science end of it. It's on the quality control, quality assurance side. And every investor in the world, when they're going to initially put money into cannabis, if it's a testing lab and it's for quality quality assurance and it's regulated by the state, that's a great fucking investment, right? Well, they just, they did it in a way where they, you know, they, they diluted the, the founders, and, you know, long story short, uh, instead of 25% of, I don't know, I'd say like a $30 million company, $28 million company, uh, I've got a $1,000. So I'd rather, it's one of those situations where I'm like, you know what? I think you guys need the money more than me. <laughs> you can keep the thousand bucks, roll your dice on that. I, I mean, I, 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 at first I was like, shit, I'm going to take it and just get Bitcoin, right? And then just let Bitcoin ride and then maybe it actually will do something. But I'd rather take my own money and get Bitcoin and let that ride than fucking, take that blood money from, uh, from that. Because what, what testing really is, is this, and this is why, and I'd say this to anybody testing has a lot of human error because humans have to be involved in the dilution of the sample from the actual product that you're taking. And because these, 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 these kids that you're hiring, they're, they're they love cannabis and testing and they're sciencey kids, but you're paying them fucking 16 to 16 to 22 bucks an hour. Maybe, you know, the, the, the head of all the techs might make 22. And and they, they work in a cannabis lab. They're like celebrating it. A lot of them are stoned. You can't be stoned when you prep samples because, you know, in any fucking way, like you need to be a, a straight Christian. And if you're a straight Christian and you do it, you're still going to fuck up because human error is going to happen over repetition every single time. And the weight of the sample that you're creating is different from, you know, from this. And it's really a lot to do. So that human error exists. But once it exists, every lab out there wants to deny that because there's so much cost in that error that they have to, in some way, make sure that some of it slips through because they've got to cover costs. And that's really the fucking problem. None of them have enough money and investment to really do this. And some people will try to argue with me on this, but I mean, tell me, any person who's ever turned in samples to a lab, knowing their shit, who's really done their homework and gotten some crazy fucking results back. That's what that is. That's human error and it happens they try to deny it you might have a cool lab that's cool the first few times but if you're a huge manufacturer like 710 you you get a 40 30 bill every month from the lab and you're trying to you know to make sure that that money's being spent correctly and the problem is is that it's just such a fucking you know everyone's trying to phd up and be the the, the science of cannabis you know and all these fucking it's like nature's the science of cannabis like don't come at me with your, you're not bringing shit to the table, monkey. Like, calm down, eat some mushrooms, get, get back to the drawing board, because most of us are fucked. So you don't know what you're talking about. So I kind of wanted to be away from all that. But luckily, running, you know, looking at mass spec, you know, GCMSs and looking, you know, uh, HPLCs and looking at this equipment run. And I fell in love with, like, the prepative HPLC and how it, how it was able to just take waste and turn it into raw compounds again and just have you know, have a system running with waste, you know, not fully waste, but a broken down version of waste that then you're, you're watching these glass jars, these beakers fill up with crystallized CBG and crystallize this. And then, and then you're like, well, I mean, there's some THCB there and, you know, where the chemist brings you some THCB and I'm in my office and I'm fucking dabbing THCB or, or dabbing like raw THC and just, and getting to do that. And I'm like, wait, this is all separation. Like, this is just, you know, the sure ice wash, you know, ice water is mechanical separation. Some of this is chemical separation and then really fell in love with BHO and, and how BHO was extracted and, and the fact that I was really hung up on the fact that you could take any cannabis plant, any strain, and you can blast it and have something to dab, you can sit there and, and taste all and really work it and really taste all the representation of it. Where if I was going to wash it and again, too, at the time, and you know, back then people were washing shit and they're like, Hey, look at my brown hash. And you were like, Oh, and you know, it was, it, it was not like, you know, Cuban wasn't Cuban back then. And these guys weren't, you know, there was no vessel life science. There was none of these fucking dudes that have really been able to then all tether up with these equipment companies and Whistler tech and icon and fucking make this crazy shit to match the, you know, now you're seeing mass produced hash that's fire as fuck, like separated heads, beautiful shit. I fell in love with all of that stuff. And like, really, I figured out the other day I was in the shower and they, it's someone, you know, will ask me about hash and be like, oh, do you, do you love hash? And I'm like, I love hash, but I think what draws me to hash is that I, I love beauty, you know, that's what like the sunrises, are. that's what like the ocean pictures are, the nature. I love beauty and something about hash, even the plants, you know, when you, when you understand the love that it takes to grow the best fucking plants there's love and there's this energy there and and, but there's beauty in all that and then there's beauty in the harvesting and understanding for solventless and then there's there's beauty in making it and then you make it and it's fucking beautiful like you smell it it smells beautiful every bit about it is amazing and then you 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 if you're lucky enough to have amazing you know I, i call it like terpene analysis equipment if you have great fucking pieces of glass that Have amazing quartz systems on them that are allowing you to use, you know, a a slurper's a column. That's what the fuck that is. You built a column that runs upward that 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 pulls itself upward. So you're just like a GCMS. You're fucking splitting, you know, splitting that shit up and breaking it down at temperature now, separating at temperature so that you can try it and get the flavor of it. So, uh, you know, wiper.
3: Before it's just a wiper. It is (laughs) before we.
0: Before we jump ahead into hash, I have a couple more questions about testing that I, I want to kind of wrap up with. And so in all legalized states and countries, um, we see issues in the analytical testing in, in at the point of analytical testing for a variety of reasons that we don't really need to touch on because everyone in this room knows yeah. and you've experienced firsthand. And, and so as someone with probably more experience than anyone in, you know, operating multiple di- jurisdictions under multiple different regulation regimes. In the, in the testing space, do you have any opinions, feelings, thoughts, or suggestions on how we as an industry can address these issues or,
2: or what the, the path of least resistance forward is? Yeah, you got you to gotta just be realistic. Everyone has to be realistic. The person turning in the sample needs to be realistic. The, the lab themselves need to be realistic. The The regulators who are creating... You know, it's mean, possible, you know, in some places they need to be realistic. It's like, you know, Boston, when they first started, they had this whole thing about radiation and radiation levels and cannabis, and they gave all these licenses and they start producing cannabis in these fucking brownstones that are sitting in the sun. And then the radiation levels are through the roof and it's like, oh my God, the radiation levels through the roof. And then some guy grabs a potato from whole foods and fucking hits it with the same reader. And the, the, radiation on the potato is five times of what the cannabis is. So it's like, just be realistic.
0: Microbial <laughs> limits that are ridiculous to adhere to. And ca- like, I mean, in Canada, you can have more yeah. microbials on the outside of your tomato than you can have in your cannabis. And-
2: well, there's, you know, they, I love the, I love when they started going crazy about regulations in regards to my, you know, microbiological contamination of the grower, And I saw this and I was just like, that's a slippery road because you for the plant biome to exist and work correctly you need to bring in these teas you need to bring in these microbeasties and you need to have fucking fusarium on your foot and you know aspergillus on the wall like it's it's part of how the plant grows it's the curing process of the finished flower that gets rid of all that stuff it's not in the fucking space that you grow it it's like what do you you know the oh the cure the, the the amazing powers of acai but the jungle's dangerous. So we're not going to fuck with that anymore. It's like, come on, man! Like it's dissonance, like right? Like so, it doesn't make sense. So th- there's that. Be realistic, you know. Like be realistic about things are going to happen. If all this money's being made, okay, create a fund for insurance to cover a mistake if it does happen. So now you can move forward and and explore and push the limits and figure things out so that you can have a better system. You know, the 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 labs. Be realistic in a sense where you understand what it is that satisfies your customer. When I worked at Steep Hill, I would fucking, it would drive me nuts. I'm like, oh, you want to satisfy the customer? Inexpensive testing, accurate testing in a quick time. Ta-da, we're fucking done, dude. Yep. Give me my results. Have a great day. And then when regulation came in, it became even more, you know, now, like when I was at Steep Hill, we didn't have anyone spending $30,000, $40,000 a month. Yeah. Like that's common now for rec business, you know, for some of these bigger guys. So, you know, it's. It's not everybody spending that, but some of the companies, you know, you've got labs now that give out free R&D testing to the companies that do their finished testing with them, which means like, you know, they'll, they'll come to your lab and be your type six and pick up all your fucking tests for you and run pesticide, this and that, all just in your, in your just regular non-controlled R&D test in, in an, in an effort to win your business at the, at the, the $260 pesticide screening and fucking all the regulatory You know shit that has to happen for the finished product to be done so um you know be realistic and and just understand that it's not the gold rush that you think it is you know you're not coming in these fucking people think that they're gonna most people you know money investors in cannabis think they're gonna come in and outsmart the stoners and it's like dude we're not those stoners yeah these are jedi stoners these are like fucking sleight of hand yoda ninja jedi stoners like the the, this is the guy with the biggest lungs you've ever seen that smoked the most THC that's grown the biggest, but cause it's all Mavericks. Now it's, you know, it's, it's like, I love, you know, you asked about, about Marcus and bubble man and you know, the, the partnership with him and all those great things. And I love the analogies that he uses cause his fucking life is hash yeah. top to bottom. And even when he talks about people, he's like, you know, the heads, the heads, man, like yeah. the better be You're just sifting the heads. And get them all in room and like and i love those analogies because that's what we are we're, we're these sensitive little heads filled with fucking with these compounds and you know you put a bunch of us together and, and you make great stuff but yeah gotta definitely um have had a a fucking blast with the testing stuff and like really the best part about all that it's not the money you know I, I was able to make some money at one point and and did pretty well you know was happy with what i did but uh you know it wasn't the the walk away that i thought it was going to be like the knockout walk away yeah. fuck award show with the with the gold chains or anything like that but it definitely uh the accolades from doing it like the you know because science dudes when i meet those dudes they're like oh, fuck, great you know great to meet you and so you have
1: you have that that yeah that's me man that,
2: yeah <laughs> you have respect from science dudes like you have respect from these cats like Uh, And then you have respect from, from cannabis guys. And then it's, so it's, it's rad. Like it's actually business people because it became business. And we learned a lot about business and a lot about taking companies public and doing this shit. So I evolved from, you know, a grower cannabis industry guy that was a broker smuggler, you know, got into some breeding shit into a business guy that understood business. And then, you know, I've said it on many occasions, like when legalization happened, my main job was to figure out business faster than the business guys figured out cannabis. That was it. And I knew if I did that, then I'd be all right. And like, I got lucky and I got hired, uh, you know, met, uh, Kevin Flynn at advanced nutrients, who was the president who hired me there. And then I got brought in at a C level, you know, which is like great fucking money and a lot of overhead power. And you get to learn like how a company actually runs. So I got that schooling at the same time I was in cannabis. You know, in advance, really wanted to be in the cannabis industry. So my job was head of business development, which was just lining them up only on the cannabis side. I didn't even have to. They, they, it was, they saw that it wasn't worth their money to use me on the nutrient side. Like, you can't, the fuck, what am I going to do at a grow shop? You know, so it was like, oh, no, no, okay, interact with the cannabis industry for us. So that was everything. I, I did all that stuff with them and, and, you know, helped soften the blow and, and build relationships there. And then we did, uh, We launched 11 licenses in Los Angeles uh, and had, you know, we started launching brands and and product lines for Big Mike and, you know, every product had to have his face on it. And, you know, it was like, it was some stuff that really wasn't, uh, wasn't, I would say my lane or what I wanted to do. Uh, And then randomly, uh, you know, that whole program, everything we had there kind of fell apart. Uh, Everyone went their separate ways. And that's when, you know, Kevin, uh, Kevin Muse, who was with me there, who came over, uh, Kevin was with Raw in their early days and work with those guys. And Kevin came over, uh, with chemo, um, who's also up north and we all, you know, Greg, one of our other buddies, and we just were like, all right, what are we going to do? And we, uh, Kevin Flynn came to me and actually, you know, talked to me, you know, talked with me and was like, look, you guys should start a management consulting company. You know, that's what business development is like, that's kind of what you do. So, you know, make it so that you can, and I'm like, okay, that kind of makes sense. And. You know, went to Kevin and the rest of the guys and we, you know, I was like, all right, well, I'll do it. You know, and I went and formed the LLC and named the company. And, you know, 800 pounds mantra is it's it was originally the idea was like 800 pound gorilla, like something strong, something like something fucking just that's like unavoidable in a space and the space being the cannabis industry. And then the I I I just thought that like 800 pound gorilla was too much. I was like, that's a little fucking too much. And then there already was like an 800 pound gorilla. So I was like, all right, there's already one of those in the room and it doesn't make sense. And then I just, and I was like, you know, what, what about like 800 pound mantra, like a fucking turn it around into like, you know, a force of energy that gets shit done, uh, a guide, a path, you know, kind of a way, a way through something you don't understand uh, through, you know, vibration and energy. And and that's when I just kind of came up with the name 800 pounds mantra, but it's, it is 800 pounds mantra is how it's actually said. So like. And it's purposely that way. I was uh, it's not, that's not no. an error.
1: That's not an error. No, it's not. It's not. It's 800 pounds, month.
0: Yeah. Can you can you talk a little bit more detail about the group you've put together? I know you touched on Kevin a little bit, and I know he was with Raw when, when they were ramping up, but I think that you put together quite a cool team, so I'd love to hear a little bit more about those guys.
2: Yeah. So it just, you know, we started out with uh, initially started with I think like just general consulting, you know? And then we were looking at different ways to, to be able to generate revenue. And one of them was, you know, we, we knew a bunch of makers and we knew a ton of farms and we were like, oh, we knew a, a shitload of distributors. So we were just like, all right, let's work on the fringe, but let's figure out how we can kind of interact and put everybody together, you know, biz dev, biz dev. Um, and one of the things we came up with was um, you know, the sale of Fresh Frozen. So we kind of came up with that idea and it was originally myself, Kevin, Kimo Kiawe, and Greg, uh, who Greg went back to the East Coast, uh, Greg Dobbins. So um, there was originally us. We started uh, together and kind of, you know, of course I, I put together the LLC and built everything and brought the guys in and then set up a, you know, set up a deal with them where I said, look, you know, you guys for the first two years, if you guys vest and put the work in, and you know, um, whenever revenue comes in, I'll I'll pay you guys as consultants and we'll build this thing together. And after two years, you guys will get X percent. And we'll kind of build this thing together. So, um, uh, after two years, Kevin was there, standing with me. <laughs> uh, Chemo had uh, Chemo had a lot of stuff up north that he that he wanted to do and take care of. So he just was like, you know, I can I have opportunities up there. I can't you know sit down here in So soak SoCal and starve with you guys. So, um, so me and Kev just kind of strapped on the helmets, and uh, you know, still with help from Chemo and help from other guys, uh, we came up with uh, the concept of uh, Pyramid Pipeline. Uh, And then also my good buddy, James, I mentioned him earlier uh, from Chiba Chews. I've known James forever and Eric and David and those guys. And uh, they, uh, those guys actually were really helpful. They came to us and and gave us an opportunity to manage Chiba Chews in California. Um, So we do all the, all the brands, we do management for those guys in California for their uh, production and distribution. And that was one of the first gigs that we got. So that was kind of able to help us. And then we did. Um, probably about six months consulting with lifted uh, with those guys, the flower producers work with them. Um, And then uh, now we do grandiflora uh, with, with those guys we're doing uh, helping them with like a lot of back office stuff, more like, you know, getting there, you know, making sure they're paying attention to the, the 8,300s and, you know, different or 8,600s and things like that, like different tax stuff that they have to make sure that they're doing because they're, they're a a distro and they also are manufacturing uh, and, and, distributing a lot of stuff that's being produced that's proprietary genetics. So, so we work with those guys as well. Um, and then, uh, through pipeline, it just kind of blew up and sort of, you know, it would just evolve in these conversations we would have me and Kevin, uh, and, uh, we would talk about like, you know, you know, how would, how the fuck do you like, we would sit there and smoke hash and it would just be the same hash all the time. And we're just like, dude, what the fuck? Because at the same time it would be conversation with, you know, Aaron from DNA and Aaron would be like, oh, I'm smoking on this, blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, what the fuck, dude? Like, how come you haven't put those seeds out? And then there's a million reasons why those seeds are out. Then, then you'd be like with, you know, talking to, you know, people in like Chris from Compound's camp, and they would have some crazy shit. Or you'd see Brandon from 3rd Gen, and he would have some nutty-ass shit. Or I'd see Taylor from T. Beazle, and he'd be fucking smoking on some, telling me like all oh, the shit's a 9% yielder. And I'd be like, what the fuck, dude? Like, why are none of these genetics? And it kind of came to us that like, the breeders are really good at breeding and some of them, they're not all Edgar. They're not all mace. Like they're not all really good at marketing, you know? So, so because of that, we realized like, oh shit, we could act as a conduit and help a lot of them. Like, what do we have here? Like we're friends with the breeders. They know us, they trust us. They know that I can get in the room with them. Like I could sit with them, pretty much any one of them and, and get in the room with them. So the, the idea came about where we were like, well, how about if we go to the breeders and say, hey. There's not one of you that we don't know that doesn't have a bunch of genetics sitting around that are viable for the solventless market that you just haven't put the marketing behind that you'd be willing to give us if we promise to you that we'll get them into the washrooms and get it into the conduit, into the supply chain, essentially get it into the supply chain. Um, So then we're like, every one of the breeders we talked to was like, yeah, here's my whole catalog. Like every fucking one of them. You know, the from Corey, from Canada's Corey to everybody that we talked to, Taylor, fucking you uh, it was, you know, the guys up at uh, North Coast Genetics, to uh, just everyone, you know, everyone that we talked with, all the guys that got involved, and they still keep coming. Like we still keep getting guys that are like, they love the idea because it's sort of a dance floor. It's a, it's a conduit for them to put their genetics into to get it into the supply chain more quickly, to get it into the washrooms, to get it into the market, to get the attention of X, whether it's the consumer or Seven Ten or whoever. That's how you're going to do it. You know, right now, some of the coolest shit we see is, you know, 710 and Brad and those guys with the Randy Watson and the fucking, you know, it's like, it shouldn't be left up to the manufacturer. I mean, bless them when they do, but like, come on breeders, like there's an opportunity here for you guys to do this. So we realized the breeders trust us. Everyone that we went to agreed. They're like, here, take the seats as long as you're going to put it in. And, you know, but then we start thinking about the rec market and you have to have a nursery. There's no way to get these genetics into our supply chain and system without a nursery. So, we started digging and worked. Uh, we've been probably working nine or ten months now on it. But we've got a partner, a nursery partner. They have 130 acres as well, throughout the state, uh, mixed light greenhouse, outdoor, uh, and uh, you know they're pillars. You know they got 30 30 acres of greenhouse, um, and they're just good cats. Like we, they've proven through this through these months and months of like slow churning and proof of concept and all these things with them, they've just come back multiple times and proven to us that they're great partners and they're patients on a number of things. And you know, so we work really well with them and we develop pipeline to be a program where breeders can put genetics in. We give the genetics to the nursery. In order for a nursery to work, the nurseries have to be able to pay the rent to keep the plants in the building. That's just what a nursery is. It has to be be viable. So if we build a pipeline, pyramid pipeline, so that now every person in the state understands oh anything that comes through pipeline is going to be at least a four percent producer for the solventless side and it's the place where they're going to churn and push out the old strains and bring in the new stuff and that pipeline that little beautiful system that we put together it's completely open source so the breeder's happy because they get their genetics to put in to go through to get out to the mass the 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 nursery's happy because they get new genetics they get new stuff that they try and see how it's going to grow and how it's going to work and how the market's going to like it the we like it because we work with them, the farms, in an effort to, to make the sale and get everything to the makers. Um, the makers like it because they get new material, brand new genetics that come in. And then, of course, our greedy ass on the other end of it gets better hash. And that's the whole cycle is all open. Uh, you know, the, the, the breeder's not getting paid to put their genetics in, the nursery's not having to pay for the genetics, but the nursery's not getting paid for its time to invest in the propagation of the genetics, to get them out, to get everything going. So everyone's investing their own energy and effort into it. The end result is to make, you know, to open up a strong pipeline, like a black hole of turks that genetics can be tossed into and can blast out into the market quickly um, so that they can end up into the washrooms and, and give, you know, what it also does is it gives not just the established breeders, but young breeders, guys that are just getting their chops, um an ability to to come up and step forward and say, hey, I bred the blah 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 with the Yachty-Doo and I made the Yachty-Doo blah blah and here it fucking is and it it washes at eight and a half percent. And it's like, all right, well, let's let's put it a pipeline. And it could be the launch of someone's brand. It could actually be something that like puts somebody on the map and what it can do is it can get genetics from a from a no-name breeder into a you know hundred and fifty million dollar you know manufacturing production company's genetic base and then put those genetics out to the entire market. And then if you're just a kid sitting at home and you're 21 years old and you love hash, now you can go and track the genetics that are coming. You know, we have 46 brand new strains from those breeders that I talked about that are coming. Now you can track the genetics in the pipeline and you can track those genetics to your local dispensary where they get put through. All you gotta do is make sure that they're coming from this nursery and then that they, you know, and they, they track them. Now you, for your six plants in your yard, you can have those six plants growing in your yard, six different strains, all at least 4% plus banners. I mean, Taylor has some stuff that's 8.5%, some shallow sashimi crosses, some Fofana crosses there. Fucking, I mean, even mace with like the sour diesel Wilson cross. Like some of this shit is like 7% banging out beautiful fire-ass hash. And like cause, And it's always been, a lot of it's been there. Like Stack is one of those strains that produces more fucking, more resin than anything else. Been there forever. It's just the focus on it and okay. And so we've created pipelines so that we can now have that specific focus, like a laser focus guys, on what's coming in. So,
1: Do you guys have any minimum requirements on, yeah. on readers? I mean, cause you know, we've talked about this <clears throat> a little bit and we're going to be talking to, to Ross Kaya again in the future. He was, he was sick. Um, but you know, what do you think about people that are coming out, say with new crosses or untested crosses and what is your requirement you know to be involved in that because you know i I think it's amazing you're allowing these these young and new breeders and people really with the passion to to move the terps forwards basically um but what's what's the requirement um can you talk about that and and what does it go into to make something that you guys would accept to to actually put out there into the the nurseries and farms
2: yeah, currently like right now, the requirement for this first round is it's really like the the guys. There, there's no one in this first one, uh, this first round, this first year and a half that's gonna be any of those young crazy guys. Those young crazy guys, they're they're I'm seeing them kind of come forward and want to be, but they're not truly vetted uh as far as where I mean, we want pipeline to start strong and we want to make sure that we have, you know, genetics from people that are, you know, that are fired up for it, you know, from Corey to. Um, you know, to just, there's a lot of stuff in there from a lot of guys that we know personally are, are able to bring that sort of fire to the table. But then there's also guys that aren't even in pipeline. So that's, what's great about this is that if your genetics are out and they're there, then they can get into pipeline. Just like, you know, so compound is not part of pipeline. Like we know Chris and Chris is a ally and, and those guys are friends, but they've never come to us and said, Hey, you know, put fucking... Put this in or put that in but it they're constantly coming onto our radar and we have a friendly relationship with them and then some of the the farm the farm's partners that we work with have their genetics and it's good and then so it, what it shows us too is that you don't have to be in pipeline as a breeder to get to popularize your stuff in pipeline because if it washes you know if it's about four percent and it washes if it's unique terps and people like it it has, has a varying phenotypes that are in it that are going to be better in different regions in the state Things like that are what qualifies it. And if it's been washed and it's been done, you know, and, and you're going to just pick your head up and look at, you know, the makers are, you can focus on makers to find out certain things. You can focus on breeders to find out certain things. You know, those, those are the, the whole hash world is those two looks, you know, one in each eye at all times. And you can kind of start to see what's going on and get a strong understanding of what's happening. And like my heroes are like, uh, you know, the real Canada's Chris and like fucking resin ranch and like, you know, cats
1: that are just about what they do that love what they're doing. And like, you know, branded ones that we hope to talk to as well on, on the, yeah. yeah, Like, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to switch gears a little bit because I think there's, there's an 800 pound gorilla in the room that we haven't talked about. Uh, and that's, that's, uh, you know, back to, back to hash in general. mm -hmm. And that's, um, and that's legends of hashish. Yeah. You know, I think that's like probably one of the the biggest talked about, not talked about um, things, you know, like it, it's this secret, secret society type thing. And it's like, you know, how did you become involved in that? You know, actually, let's go back. When when was your first experience with it? and yeah. And, you know, how how did you how did you get to that first experience?
2: Yeah, I I was lucky enough to, you know, for the early high times years as a grower during that period of time, you know, we would we would grow and make a bunch of money. And then when the cup would happen, we'd fucking, you know, fly out there and stay at the best hotel and go to the high times cup and be like, all right, cool. And buy a bunch of seeds and bring that shit back. Because that was how that was like the safest, most secure way to get your seeds. And you could be standing at a booth in Amsterdam and Shanti Baba could fucking open a bag and be like, yeah, this is the wheat because otherwise you kind of were getting ripped off, you know, it was like, you weren't sure, or you could go to Don and Aaron's booth and they'd be like, yeah, or, or Adam from TH seeds and, and see the Burmese push or see something like, and and then you could hit the coffee shops, smoke a bunch of it and be like, okay, I'm fucking buying these. And like, that was as a grower, it was one of the smartest ways to do it. So um I'd gone and, and just established friendships with, you know, those guys I just mentioned, like met Adam from TH seeds and uh, you know, met Don and Aaron from DNA and, uh, in the process, uh, started to kind of talk with the people at high times and, you know, got to, you know, met Craig and, and his wife and, and Danny and and started to meet these people because you'd kind of be there and see them. Oh, nice. And, and, uh, you know, just get into this place where like, you know, you kind of after like four, I think it was probably like my fourth year going or third year going, um, and kind of made friends with people and sort of knew people and you'd get in there. And what I noticed was there was this fucking Canadian dude. <laughs> This tall, crazy Canadian dude who would like walk around with with like some of the heavies though. Like he was with like Sam the Skunk Man and and you know Mel Frank. Like he was with like the big dudes and he knew like the biggest cats because this dude was Bubble Man. It was Marcus. And I was like, oh shit, that's that guy with the bags, you know, and whatever. And then came come back to the United States when I was a rep in Sir State Snow. Um, a friend of mine introduced me via like, I think it was like a phone call to marcus because they needed a rep for bubble bags to go to grow shops and i was a rep traveling all over the place and i was a grower so i was like oh this sounds like a fucking interesting opportunity and i think what year was this this was 2000 i think yeah i think this was like 2000 and uh yeah what it was was that there was a snowboard dude that i knew that was a rep that somehow was the rep for bubble bags in tahoe for marcus's brand in tahoe and I was like hanging out with them and I showed, you know, we we're friends. We we grew and I showed him my grow and I showed him my bubble bags. And I think I had a small set of bags and he's like, oh, dude, you need to get the big ones. And I'm like, oh, and he's like, Chuck Dessani, like he's the rep. I'm like, what the fuck? So he's like, oh yeah, well, you know, I'll hook you up. He's like, wait, you should do this territory. So anyway, long story short, he introduces me to Marcus and I was actually the rep for bubble bags in like the Bay area. <laughs> and like stocked in and all that shit to go to the grow shops and like sell in their bubble bags. Cause that's who would like buy bubble bags and sell them at that point. Um, so having known him that way and then go, you know, so then the next year when I go to the cup, I'm like, Marcus, what's this? So now I know him, you know, I'd spoke to him on the phone. Mm-hmm. And that's when I kind of started to recognize that like he would walk around with Sam and those guys and they'd have laminates and they'd be numbered and they would just walk up to people and people would show them hash and they'd give them a laminate and they fucking move on. And what it was, was is, uh, it's really based off of old Indian culture and Hindu culture. And it was a pilgrimage that went to a certain place and all the farmers would go. And then at the end, they'd all put their hash down and they'd smoke and they'd declare a winner using a specific method to find a winner. And it was very communal, very fucking pilgrimage kind of thing. And that's what it's really based off of, you know, for history wise and why they did it. But what it was initially was um, before I saw it and I saw him handing out laminates, um, you know, all these guys going to the cup. What I didn't realize was there are guys smuggling in the weed that was going to be sold in all the coffee shops for the actual cup. So there are some dudes that were heavies that were bringing a shitload of stuff to town that would then, you know, like cash out at the end and be like, Woo! fucking the real party was like when those dudes parted. So this was, their party kind of for like all the smugglers, all the real heavy dudes. This was that party. And you had to be like a fucking breeder or a huge smuggler or, you know, Soma's fucking towel boy or something to get into these things, dude. Like you, you couldn't get into this shit. But I got lucky, you know, met Don and Aaron and, uh, and I guess, uh, I guess what it was is I met Don and Aaron and then Aaron, uh, was like, something happened. And he's like, yeah, you can come with me. I was like motherfucker, and I went and and finally got to go to to the first one that I ever went to, and I still have a limb in it.
3: So, what year was your first one? Do you remember? I
2: think like oh three or four, maybe. Okay,
3: I think that
2: might have been. I think it was uh, yeah, I think it was oh three or oh four. I mean, yeah, because I think because we started steep hill in 08. So it was maybe like 05, 04, but this one. And then I have uh so, a couple others. So I went, I went three, three or four times, I think. I went four times. Because I went to the one in LA. So that was, LA was my fourth one. Um, so I ended up getting to go to him, and it was fucking insane. Like, because I didn't know what it was, but you know, Aaron's like, this is. <laughs> like hyping it up to be all crazy and and I'm like, oh fuck, you know, and I go and it's like this super dimly lit uh space, and everyone gets in there and it's a it's just a, a gathering of those people, and there's uh everyone brings their offering and the offerings are all laid out and everyone consumes and just has this celebration. It's like a really cool ass, you know, nothing sold, nothing's you know, crazy about it. It's very communal, very super fucking raw. Just fun, fun, good times. Um, and yeah, got was was involved in in that one on that level, being a guest. And they have this wubbly bubbly pipe that's like a traditional Afghani pipe that they put like 60 grams of fucking melt in at a time that like lights your lungs on fire and like Can you explain wobbly right? bubbly? Dude. So in Afghanistan it's super hot, right? So they get cover from the sun, whether they're in like a cave or fucking whatever they got. And then they dig down in the ground and they put this pipe down into the ground where it's cooler, where the water is. And then the bowl comes up out of the ground. And then behind the bowl is this long fucking stem that you suck on. So it takes a lot of like very fucking, like a, like, like sucking fucking a golf ball through a garden hose kind of a thing. <laughs> but it generates so much fucking smoke at one point that now you're like biting mouthfuls of smoke like hey like this shit just hits you and they had like a stool and you'd go up there like it was fucking it was ins- it was like navy seals bucket. oh so this is like a big
1: like fucking oh they yeah. had there yeah 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 so you'd get to go and how be, big like, is oh, this like, thing like is this feet tall like a couple feet tall yeah you'd like step up this little fucking ladder thing because of
2: course now you can't bury buried in the ground and you know like tilt back and she- dude it was fucking insane in this restaurant and the guy would like let him let him do this you know and anyway and it would fucking just blow up the place with fucking with smoke like chara smoke in the air just and we're talking chunks of resin like people just people were proud to walk up and give this dude a giant chunk of resin to fucking throw in this thing and light 50 heads on fire and what was cool about it is if you remember that period of time marcus and, and mila were kind of battling as like the the presenter of the bubble bag technology and all these things but marcus would still invite mila to the legends dinners and they would go there and get lit and just have a blast and like that's what's kind of (laughs) cool legends is that level of like hyper you know cannabis analysis tomfoolery that fucking goes to another level because it's really originally started as like this very communal you know open sort of thing but then Fast forward to now, fast forward to, you know, talking with Marcus and knowing him and, and, you know, seeing where, where legends is and where it wants to go. Marcus owns it with Sam the skunk man. Um, and you know, they're the originators of it. 20, 21 years, 20 years of, of legacy with it. Um, and they would pay for it out of their pocket every year. And it was this thing where you just went and ate and fucking got to be a part of it. It was really cool. So when you bring that to the United States, when you bring it into our culture, when you bring it into a regulated environment, bring it into Los Angeles or the North America, how do you do that? Like, how do you, because you know, things have to be twisted in a certain way and delivered in a certain way to actually be able to survive. You have to monetize things and be able to, you know, I I'm, I'm hey, I wish that legends, and I and I had this conversation with some makers that kind of had a holier-than-thou mentality about how legends should be. And I'm like, well, you know, you could call Marcus and negotiate a thing and throw your legends, and I'll sit back, I'll fucking put my feet up and just invite me and i'd love to check it out but these are problems that are getting solved and figuring out how to mix just like you know steep hill where you're taking scientists and you're pushing scientists up against a manufacturing deadline with results that have to go out and you watch those two fucking rivers collide and it's it's the most fucked up shit you've ever seen scientists are like it's about science and then the Money guys are about, what the fuck do you mean? It's about money. And, you know, so it's it's this, I guess I have experience in these kind of fucking logistics side of it, eh? Oh, it's a nightmare, man. It was crazy shit. So legends figuring it out and putting it together in a way so that we could, A, monetize it because it has to be monetized. You're not, you know, I'd love to go back and use Spain as an example. I'd love to use Amsterdam as an example, but Amsterdam was, Amsterdam was Marcus's bag. He was paying for it spain was sean's bag
1: flux he paid for spain um who's paying for kelly now is it is that I, my bag? I actually didn't know that did you guys know that i thought i thought it was actually not like that at all so yeah this is an education
3: yeah it's yeah. a huge education for me right now.
2: it, it was a bag like a major bag was going into throwing that fucking thing and and the reason why is because you know just like our homies who own this company or that company that's a trap branding Cali that flies out to Boston for six days and then comes back, they just did a drop and they banged the fuck out and they made money, right? So they they're they're flying first class and they're eating that moo and they're you know their Instagram's lit, right? It's like that's what this was. These dudes smuggled in, they had they celebrated and they had a good fucking time. One dude paid the bag and he put that shit up. And if you bring something like that to Cali in LA and now you want to talk about it, you're talking about a thirty to forty five thousand dollar bag. So you, so what do you do, you know? And, and all right, you want to bring in sponsors. Well, you can't just have any fucking sponsors. They can't be associated with any of the brands. They can't be. Cause then of course, you know, everyone wants to be like, oh, well, that's why so-and-so won because of blah, blah, blah. So like right. you got to cover that. And, and there's so many fucking things and now you're monetizing it. So even the fact that you're just going to monetize it, some, some makers were like, you know, man, I was fucking hooded in a park in Istanbul and I fucking popped out and gave my sample to someone and then like, you, like they want to talk about this like there i was kind of experience in the hash world and that's how they got into legends and it's like dude everything evolves you have a rec license now and you sell fucking hash to to old ladies that come off of fucking cruise ships in long beach like what are you talking about like you know shit's different so it's so you had to kind of figure out how the fuck do you do that and luckily kevin was there <laughs> you know kevin stepped up and I, I gotta make sure i shout out kevin he's you know just somebody who really fucking um is able to do all the th- you know here's two of us and we're like all right we're gonna do this but then there's a bunch of things that neither one of us are good at every one of those things kevin has become good at. <laughs>
1: so i have gotta give kevin a ton of credit he's fucking murdered it and and did really marcus, did marcus approach you or did, was it like a discussion you guys were like having a session of like, oh, Let's bring it.
2: yeah we would just do like hash church and you know talk after hash church or do other stuff and and I think what it came down to was like, in order for Marcus to do it, he wanted to do it with someone that he knew was uh you know, what did he say? It was like, you know, it was everyone wants to do it, but do you have the access to make it happen? Like could you take it and actually then get the makers to trust you and get everyone to trust you and get the space and could you could you really carry that and make that happen? And that was something not until afterward that I realized, and I was like, oh shit, I guess we had the juice to actually pull it off because we did you know we we were able to get you know up thank every one of the makers that was involved, you know, cause got to think about it. It's just to me, I know the culture, I know the makers, I know, uh, Marcus, Marcus trusts me enough. So here I am in this position in a great position and here's an opportunity in my lap. So it was really important to make sure that we figured it out in a way that incorporated the public because we want to open this up to a broader stage. Um, that was okay with the makers, you know, because of course they're the ones that are putting up, um, you know, everyone pays to come to the dinner. That was the other thing that it was like, all right, you mold this experience. What does it look like now? What is it worth? You put it up there, but then you're also going to certain sponsors and like, you know, huge thanks to Mills, huge thanks to Octave and companies that were able to sponsor us that were willing to, that were also fit the bill. Their customer was the guys that were there in a lot of ways. and then. You know, luckily for that time in my life when I fucking went on further and Dead Tour and became friends with Scott Depi and was able to, you know, get Deppy. I, I called Deppy up and was like, "Hey, Legends of Hash," and he's like, "Okay, like, yeah, I'm down." Like, how do I sponsor it? And I'm just like, "What the? F- you want to fucking anything they sponsor blows up, yep. right?" It's like, can you break out the ship? Can I was like, "Break out the ship, yeah." People
3: are asking for it. You need to bust break out, out the ship, please. To take it down. No, no not that one. Not that one. Oh, that's okay. That's the okay. Big... yeah, no, the other ones.
2: ones. Oh, oh, that I know what the one you talk. All right, hold on, I okay. get.
3: <laughs> yes.
1: What the beaker? We're getting it, boys. We're getting it. We're getting it, boys. Okay. <laughs> Yo, that's unreal. Like, there's very few people I think that can just call up Depp, Scott Depp, and be like, "Yo, what's good?" And then him being like, "Yo, can I bring like a whole fucking." Custom set to to sell and to sponsor with, um, like and from, we dream of that shit. Well, you go from just like being,
2: I know we're friends, and I just offered him, like
1: I really want you to come to this
2: dinner. You gotta come down here with us and, and enjoy this dinner. And he's like, yeah, for he's like, for sure. Can I sponsor? How do I sponsor this thing? Like right away. Which to me was, you know, that's that's like the 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 nod that you're looking for to like, because then that's when good. you associate mothership with it, it just gets that credibility. But it also, at the same time, what's odd about it that I recognize afterward is that Debbie kind of carries this whole comet tail of his own with like everything that comes with Debbie. So there are some people that were there that were just there to see Debbie. So
3: the comet tail is putting it nicely. It's more like a, like a planet. He's a solar system.
1: Oh, he is a fuck. I was going to say, i a punk. <laughs> He's
2: a solar season. He's like a planet with a ponytail. <laughs> He's pulling, pulling his <laughs> direction. For real. Well, yeah, so here it is that's geez so it's a little prototype beaker a little four seed
1: and it's there's a four seed on that stem yeah so you can kind of see them in there and that's a fixie right like it's fixed no 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 it's a 10 mil no but like the stem doesn't come out yeah no it's and it's
2: it's, and and it's and it's attached at the base oh that's That's so so dang but it has two seeds on each side and up uh, top of each other on on each side of it inside there. So, Oh, that's dynamite. But yeah, it's a little, you can see them inside. But it's a little super shredder. Great little rig, like uh, nice for like, um, like this nail, especially just like a nice little melt nail. So this is, you know, it's a Sunday melt, a Sunday melt
3: rig. That's, that's yeah. super hype. That is gorgeous. I mean,
2: Debbie, that's a dream piece right there. Oh man, I've I've uh, read right when I got it, it's a prototype, so it's you know I'm not even sure if they're gonna go in production with them. I think that's where they decided. They had what's cool is we got to see all the prototypes from that, and you could tell the difference in size and shape and like what he was thinking. You know, he he wanted to just be like, all right, what direction am I gonna go in? So he made these. I think it was four, four, maybe four or five of them, and this one was like one of the smallest ones, the only one with the ten mil. Then there was a larger one with a bigger base that was fourteen, and then you know, there's just different, you know, lengths and sizes. I think Maz, if you go onto Maid's uh, page, there's, there's uh one of them still available from the, from the drop. So we grabbed like the four um, De- Deppy sent me a video when he was showing us all the rigs and uh, he's so rough at the glass on the table. Right. And then one of the, one of the rigs came when, when, when uh, Chris bought it and it's like, it was cracked on the base from Debbie, like just like you know, whatever, like you know.
0: Uh, you um, it, when, you, when you first met Debbie, was it was it on a dead tour? Or,
2: or uh, yeah, that's the one. That, that's the that's one that's not broken. Yeah, I met Debbie. So like, so Deppie has a really good friend, or, or Debbie and myself have a really good friend named Island Al, who's named Al, who used to manage Debbie's shop for a long time. Uh, so Island, myself. Uh Island and 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 Scott, uh myself and my buddy uh custy Dave, we were all on tour together and all knew each other from tour. So we would just kind of, you know, when you're on tour, you have like your crew and your friends, and you might have two buddies that have a vehicle, you have a vehicle, your other friends have a van or something, and you kind of, you know, caravan in certain ways with together. So I knew those guys from that. Um, and just knew him from that stuff. And it's a really funny story. Like I always stayed in touch with Al. Uh, and, but just didn't really, you know, I knew Al did a lot of stuff in glass. I just wasn't sure. I knew he was up in Washington, Oregon area, like Pacific Northwest. Um, but I, I had no idea that mothership was owned by Deppie. Like I didn't know that I I knew Deppie's name, but I didn't know Scott from dead further tour was Deppie. I didn't know him as that. I knew him as Scott and he had hair and he was a fucking totally different dude. And he was kind of, kind of aggro a little bit, like a crazy dude, uh, and yeah, so I didn't really know that it was the same person. So I got into glass and got into dabs and all that shit early on through the lab and met a lot of makers and just, you know, got pulled into that scene with a bunch of different people I knew and knew who Mothership was and knew of Mothership pieces and got into Mothership, but didn't realize that that was Deppy. So randomly one day, Al hits me up and he's like, oh, dude, I saw you got a fucking a ship. That's sick. When did you hit up Deppy? And I'm like, and He says it a couple of times, and I'm like, "Who the fuck are you talking about, dude?" Like, and he's like, "Where'd you get your pipe?" And I'm like, "I don't like, I got it from a you know some third party or something like that." And he's like, "Well, you know that that's Scott. Like, Scott owns that. That's Debbie." And I'm like, "What the fuck?" And then, and then next thing I know, he like lines me up with the shop, and I bought like an egg and a couple things. And then when I bought it, that was when like uh, right when I bought it. Oh, you know, I bought it and I went up there and picked it up. And when I did. I saw Scott and he's like, dude, what's up? And I was like, motherfucker. (laughs) So yeah, so we've, we've known each other, uh, you know, not, we weren't like best fucking friends or anything, but we, but now we're good friends, like just from having you the leader. Yeah. It was, you know, just, it was a kind of a funny story because it's, um, there was a small scene. It was it and it's, and there's still a bunch of heads around from it, like chem dog and a bunch of cats that are all from that same scene that like friends that we had from lot from tour, and, and well, just kind of then knew of each other. But then as cannabis evolved in different States where it's still in that counterculture space and sort of reintroduced. And and it's like, I look around now and I'm like, Oh shit. Yeah. Okay. Like Brian from IC Collect, you know, just you see all these different dudes doing stuff that are from back in the day that are legit. Like Craig from Satori, who owns his big thing. And, you know, and it's and Brian from fucking vital and, shiloh and like you know it's all old heads that really do know Jigga and flux and you know and those guys that all know each other from from this industry for a long long time like all came up together and worked together for a long time so what was the first piece of glass you remember acquiring from oh so justin benson from norcal cannabis who owns panacea <laughs> um he invited me to some fucking weird concert one weekend and uh, we got there, and he had a um, a Mobius, a crazy ass Mobius, and he had a you know a fucking swing set up and all this crazy shit on it. And we just went to his hotel before and just ripped dabs and got super lit. And then um, I think like the next week, he fucking bought me one as a gift, and I was like yeah, and I just like you know titanium nail, and then just kind of started there. But it was a Mobius Matrix. I still have it. It's uh was my first rake
0: that's fucking awesome man so this was was glass like a a big part
2: of your life continuously are you a constant collector or like yeah uh, i mean i got into it through and just became friends with a lot of cats like i you know that's how i got tyrone my dog was from bertoni you know and he's like a glass guy with with bertoni glass and and his whole side and then coil has one of the dogs and and that's how i met dan was through that and you know just a, a big it, the two intertwine. like i've I've always tripped out and wanted to i've always wanted to kind of outline and showcase more in conversation how one birthed the other because at the time it was a swing and it was hmk made the swing and it was the pretty classic. no one was really fucking dabbing and it was like oil just kind of came out and that hmk yeah the the swing came into it and once that was there it was like okay Now we can fucking, now we can burn the oil. Well, then everyone was like, now think of what that did though, because everyone was trapping flour. That was really what was happening. So the, 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 the UPS boys and the, the box ship boys, you went from having to ship 20 fucking units, 30 units, you know, 50 packs to make money down to $3 and 98 cents fucking United States postal service pack, where I just made the same amount of money. Cause I could put a half pound of oil in that, or even crazier. We were just, we were just fucking running. Like when I, you know, I had I know, the gas station, which was one of the BHO companies. We had, we had forty-one wax, which was like a, a take on Lizzie Boarding with like two x two axes crossed into each other. Uh, we had these BHO companies, and we would just fucking take slab, dude. I'm talking slabs into a Pelican backpack where the computer went, and just close it up and slab it right through. And they would be like, "Yeah, we're good." <laughs> and you'd fly out with fucking six pounds of oil. And turn, you know, like, dude, in Amsterdam, if the guys that were going crazy, you know, for those cannabis cups that that had oil first hit them like shatter, you'd pay nine grand for a pound in the U.S. and you'd take it to Amsterdam and get 27,000 euros. So that's where those bags came from. You know, that's where like, oh, well, let's throw a hash party. You know, like fucking, that's kind of what those, that was the math there. You know, the hardest thing was, was getting your cash out of Europe, like figuring out how you're going to get your shit back. So. That's why some people still have businesses in Europe to this day. It's kind of a brand off a of one cup or something, but um, but you know that's the reality of like what that world was and what people were doing. And you know it's it's way past those days. And I'm not saying everybody was involved. I mean Marcus, I know Marcus was really smart because Marcus had his booth and Marcus did bubble bags and Marcus was making money selling legitimate products. And that was kind of a lot of guys looked up to that because it was like, oh fuck, man, you know, here's these dudes are doing it, doing it like they can, they can legitimately rest their head on a pillow and sleep at night. And like Marcus has done, you know, being a part of Whistler tech, being a part of his company. Now that he has the, the hash company, yeah, shout out embark and bark. Good. Oh, Crazy. You know, just, and, and those, they're such fucking nerds that love what they do. Like, you know, they, they love hash so much uh, and, and fall in love with it. And it's like, hash has that power to kind of make you make, you know, I love how hash is. It's, It's not fucking around like it could look so good and smell so good and bring you to this great place. But like if you don't get your shit done, you know what's going to happen and you're just going to, you know, and you could it's a nasty mistress, you know, it's at the same time because we all know it. And it's and I love that about it. It's it's a very, very sharp razor blade that in order to you see some people who are, are living like very happy hash life. And you're like, how the fuck is that person doing that? And it's like, it's a, it's a balance, man. It's a major fucking balance to pull that off. I, I give props to anybody that does it because it's, I know the challenge of it, um, you know. And like, I started waking up at like five a.m. because I was like, there are not enough fucking hours in the day to smoke. Actually, <laughs> 100%. I'm like, if I have to, you know, for my ADHD, if I have to well, like, I wake, wake up early up, yeah. to smoke hash all day, 100%. Yeah, like, workerson, man. Like, that's fucking, that's <laughs> the truth. But it, it really is like, I did that for a year because I, I, I would always be amazed by people who could wake up and work out. them. So I'd be like, who the fuck is this dude? And then like Jocko Wilnick or some shit, you know? And then, and then I did it for a year and just got up but didn't do anything. I would just get up early and be like, all right. And the way I saw it in my head was, Oh man, I'm much more calm because I have time to waste. And I could just get high and chill and see what happens in the morning and get into the cycle and then after doing it for a year I was like, all right, now I'm going to work out. Now I'm okay, now I now I see too much space and time in the morning. And like that's the kind of shit that I'll do is like, you know, something different a lot of times in a row. So hold on,
1: that's let's yeah. let's go back to that cuz you posted a question the other day on Instagram about dabbing and working out or or smoking and working out and then i messaged you i was like i literally just took like a big dab of of this fruit joy and like i like those fruity terps. i don't want like a gassy hit before i go and work out otherwise my lungs are crippled but um but i was like yeah i'm gonna go i'm taking a dab right now and i'm going to do a 5k and like i'll go and do a 5 or 10k and for me it's like it gets my head in the space where like i'm not thinking about how much my muscles are hurting i'm just thinking about you know whatever i'm having fun i'm in my own headspace right like it's just inter- um, where are you where are you for that because you didn't answer the question on it you were just asked it for
2: me what it does is it turns me into a
1: worker you know i can get lit you know
2: i can wake up with all the thoughts in the world and i make my list and i'm like when i do my thing but then when it's time to do some work when it's time to like sweat or get crazy whether it's actually working out or taking the dogs on a walk it's for me it's like take a big ass fucking dab you know, like a, a 0.5, you know, a 0. 0.25, and really just like clean out all the cobwebs, get all, you know, brand new. We're high as fuck right now and get there. And then as I'm coming off of that, for some reason, as I start to come down from there, that's like when all the magic happens for me. That's when I'm able to like find my lane, get into my lane, whatever. And I'm a worker. That's the best way to say it is that like whatever I did on that list earlier and made for me to do. Now that I'm high, that's what I'm doing. It's like one through whatever. Here we go. I'm like, and I just hammer the fuck through. And I've learned cool things like Pomodoro method, you know, using like, so you can like get really baked and then you have different size. So this one's 30 minutes and it's the sand, you know, the sand sandblast through it for 30 minutes. So if you're getting into a task, you flip that and then what the 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 habit is is that you get into what you're doing it helps you initiate into things and it gives you a physical understanding but what you do is you flip it and then you get into what you're doing and then before you know it it's empty already so you'll flip it again and keep doing what you're doing and you're doing these 30 minute lots of it and then when you kind of get sick of it or you're starting to distract yourself you have another one that's a five minute one and then you take that one and you set that one and now you can fuck off for five minutes or take a piss or whatever and you keep using these to kind of you know, cause it's like a guide, you know, it's like a little canary in the mines in a sense. Um, but it gives you, so it's called Pomodoro method, um, which works really well. And you can get them on like Amazon. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, little shit for like ADHD or like, you know, another cool thing is like OKRs. So outcomes and key results, which are, you know, methods. And this is going to probably sound weird to a lot of stoners, but, you know, while I was talking about the balance of like smoking a lot of hash, but then also remaining productive. You can use, um, scrum techniques and other like computer programming, uh, you know, uh, methods that they use for their projects, for project management to stay on task while you're really, really bait. And it's, and, uh, and it's, you know, it works if you have ADHD and shit like that, you can use that stuff. So we, we do that stuff at 800, like getting to get back to the company and talk about it a bit. It's, uh, it's really a cannabis think tank. It's like a cannabis cadre of guys that have a lot of experience in cannabis space whether it's you know from Justin Lee with 710 Labs or Alex from you know Poofer from from Resin or Taylor from T Beasel or you know so, Or Marcus and there's just it's a really cool portal um, for business and other things that we have access to that's kind of our our friendships and partnerships and all of our buddies that we work with and they're all experts and they know their shit really well um we just we kind of built a company around access and it's you know we have access to all these people because we have this rolodex of friends that we you know we can literally reach out to the ceos of most companies that are that are worth their weight and and get lunch the next day or 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 be on their schedule immediately you know we know them so well because we work with them for so long um or there's people that are doing great things that we don't know that that have respect for what we've done you know whether it's steep hill or you know, what we're doing at pipeline or, or what we're doing with legends. Um, and for us, like, we're not, we're not fucking brilliant in any way. Like we're not, we're hash guys, you know, Kevin and I are both guys that love fucking hash and, you know, we get baked and get distracted sometimes and we fall down a hole and then we're like, Oh my God, I'm going but we love hash. It's like, it's really what's most important to us because it motivates the shit out of us, it, like it gives us that energy and we love it. And, and again, I think it's it's not as much as loving hash, but like beauty, like it's such a beautiful fucking thing in and out in every way in different formats. And the way that it makes you feel is amazing. And you couple music with that and you couple great food with that. And you couple your stupid friends with that and you fucking, and it just sprinkle a little hash on it all. And it makes it all so much fucking better. And it's like, it's a path. And, and, and you could, you could, it's a wide, broad, amazing path that you can really, get completely and utterly fucking wrapped into on every level. And that's kind of what we've done with 800 from, you know, we look at it as like nose to tail. If hash was nose to tail, how the fuck do we get involved on all of it? And it's like, all right, well, pipeline, we, we include breeders, manufacturers, uh, producers, uh, you know, everybody's involved and the consumer and the customer at the end. We had to include everyone there. And then legends of hash. were like hyper-focused on the culture and bringing that stuff to the U S and and putting together and and also you know, eight hundred pounds mantra is a management consulting company. So it started with us managing and consulting Marcus on the legends brand. And then it turned into Marcus and myself, you know owning the the rights to legends in the u s uh, through a partnership. Now we have an LLC, which is you know uh, legends events, LLC, and we will be doing more legends events and putting it together based on just like a, I, you know, when it really happened, I called Marcus and we were talking and I said, look, let's, how about this? Uh, if you want to launch a brand in California, 800 will launch your brands with you and in return, you know, let's do legends together and we'll do it completely transparent, share all the books, share everything with you. And we'll, we'll do it together and see how it turns out. Our aim is not to profit. Our aim is to cover the costs and see what happens and allow it to kind of, you know, be itself. And he was like, let's do it. You know, so Kevin and I put in like, fuck, I'd say, you know, 115 hours a week each for, you know, six months or something crazy, five months and, and got the thing done and got it put together. And then at the end, we kept our word and, and, you know, everyone that came enjoyed it. Uh, the people that we work with enjoyed it. We, we built a great partnership with, um, some other event organizers that we really like. And, and now it's like it has legs and we can do it. And we're talking about NorCal and we're talking about, you know, for a new concept, uh, you know, to really broaden the concept, to go just from a dinner, like how do you make it from just a dinner the way that it was, and how do you make it better? Like, how do you, how do you, you know, if you're if your eyes are open and you're not a, a jealous bastard, you're looking at Ego Clash and you're looking at Masters of Rosin and you're looking at these other events and you're talking to the makers and seeing how their experience was and you're trying to perfect it. And like after Ego Clash, I the day after Ego Clash, I jumped on the call to Brandon and was like, dude kudos like fucking amazing event like everyone everyone i talked to was super stoked and and i told them i'm like you know i'm picking everyone's brain because i want to you know put on the perfect event and and the events are so different from one another too if you look at ego clashes an opportunity for makers to go and really judge and get together and it's not as like a dinner like legends is a dinner that's very you know very good food and it's all about the environment and the (laughs) atmosphere Yeah. And the vibe and it's super different. And, you know, Brandon and I had a chuckle and he's like, you know, I, I hit him up and I'm like, hey, congrats and this and that. And he's like, oh, yeah, I, uh, I love Brandon because he's so straightforward. But he's like, I was a little buttered. I didn't get invited. And I'm like, well, it's SoCal. You know, like when we do the NorCal one, you'll be invited. But like, you want me to drag your ass all the way to fucking SoCal in your diesel truck. And, you know, you're the one person I thought I spared, you know, so. So it's it's all on good terms, and like learning you know just keep your keep my eyes open and learn from those events, and that's what we're gonna try to bring the legends now is to just up the ante a bit and bring it to that next level and add to it and sort of like bang it out a bit. And the same thing with pyramid pipeline, you know taking it and adding to it and you know bringing more more thought to it and perfecting it and making it so that it's uh, makes way more sense for the makers makes a ton more sense for the for the farmers. Um, and then we get to kind of, you know, steer and be a part of, uh, you know, what's happening in the hash world without being hash makers. And that's kind of the coolest thing about it too, is that I don't want to, you know, for a while I thought, you know, it would be cool to have a hash brand and, and yeah, I'm associated with some, you know, Diamond Baron and David and Rosal Baron and, and things like that and Ultra Turbby Turf Club and there's an association, but I'm, I'm at the place now and we're at the place now where I think we're distancing ourselves from any specific brand. And getting more into the supply chain and getting more into how do you make it so that a you're you're giving better offering to the hash makers for products and supply chain b how do you enhance the experience for them when it comes to distributing and selling those products and then b how do you enhance the end result for the make for the you know for the customer for the person at the end and then how do you like you know, dial out and make an even doper an environment for everybody involved in, in, hash and kind of stay in that place and don't have to be, you know, I'd rather have access to everything and work with everybody than sort of like be in one lane and not be able to, 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 to do that, to enjoy myself. I love, you know, smoking hash and having fun. And I want to do that as much as possible while we accomplish all this other shit and do these things. And, and if you make money, you know, you can make really good money. Um, at the same time, you know, and, and some of these models that we're looking at for pipeline, the models that we look at for different things, they're profitable models, you know, they're, and it's just, you know, there's a thousand distros in California and none of them are what we consider to be doing it in, in a very certain way. We're looking at it and we're like, this is hyper fractured, man. Like, you know, it's like, this is weird. So we're, we're kind of like trying to take what we understand and know and apply it in a way and what's great about it is the more that we reveal and the more that we show people, um, and there's been months, you know, eight months of behind the scene work with like proof of concept and putting things together. And you guys will see, like, I'll post stuff online and talk about stuff, but I've learned to kind of keep things a little more quiet and kind of, you know, uh, you know, not everyone's your friend. Like some of those people, you know, some of the 28,000 followers on my page probably want to see me fail. So you got to kind of keep it a little more quiet. I've learned. And like, you know, And then I also learned like I was this many days old when I learned that in order to manifest stuff, you can't, you can't talk too much about it because the negative people that don't understand it are going to rally against it. So you have to kind of keep your shit to yourself. And I just learned that, which is kind of funny because I've always felt like full transparency is the real path of honesty and like the best way to do shit. I'd rather be like, this is everything I'm doing. And if you can stop me, then I know I beat you. You know, that was kind of like my mentality, like this, like younger brother, stupid fuck. You know, like my brothers would, when I was younger, my brothers were like, if someone says something that you don't like, just punch them in the face. <laughs> and that was like the mantra as, as I grew up and then realized and learned that like, you can't just punch people in the face because you disagree with them. Like, you have to, they have a say before you punch them in the face. You know, it's like, you have to learn to talk and figure shit out. So that's, I'm lucky that I changed gears and kind of wanted to be, uh, there was one point in my life where, like, the one thing that I wanted to be most was articulate. And I felt like if I was articulate, I could talk my way into or out of anything. And that's the place to be. Like, that's the good spot. So,
0: yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely, bro. I wanted to I wanted to ask you a bit about hash preferences and, and your thoughts on hash and rosin and, and your thoughts on the industry. And I want to start with uh, Fresh Press versus cured. I want to know if you have a preference or if that's something that's cultivar specific to you. And then the follow-up to that question is, do you think that the fresh press will be as prevalent in the California market in three years or more, more or less, or the same as it is today?
2: I think it, what it comes down to when I think about the question is more, um, you know, it's a preference thing and it's going to be, you know, certain people have different levels of, uh, of, uh, senses, right? So you'll meet some people that are super sensitive to smell and they can really, you know, express themselves incredibly well about what they're experiencing. And those people are pretty rare, but then there's people who, um, they mimic everything they see. Right. So you may see the loudest guy online being like, Oh fuck, fuck fresh press. But when you get into hash and you get into production and you get into scale and you start to understand fresh press is really the, the longest shelf life product you can put out to the public. So if you're a lab and you're doing small batches and you're putting your stuff out fresh press and it's getting out to the public, that really has more to do with like shelf life in my mind, because post-processing from fresh press, if you think of it in a business standpoint, it takes time, time is money. You know, now, if, you know, if you're a Brad and you, and you're looking at yields, uh, you know, you're looking at these things and you're understanding operations, you know, if you're CEO of a company, then you understand operations really well. Our community and and our tastes don't really line up with operations. And like, you know, I posted a while back that like culture eats strategy for breakfast and that's true. Culture will always eat strategy for breakfast because culture speaks to market where strategy has to catch culture and it has to catch to understand market. So be, with that in mind, and you think about that now, you're orchestrating production to the market and to the public. And when you do, uh, it's, it makes it a lot easier if you can just take fresh press and put it right out to the market. Because now I like that idea because you're giving the control to the consumer as long as everybody along the line uh, preserves the product and you receive it. That's a learning point for the consumer. So some consumers are going to get fresh press. And if they're like some of us, they're like, oh, I take the fresh press and I put it on top of the router in my office. And I leave it there while I sit at my desk. And then about lunchtime, I open it up and I have a fucking Arnold Palmer, which is fucking half one and half the other. And I whip that bitch up. And like when they do that, fucking Terps come to life. And like as you get more educated, you learn that like leave your fresh press on the desk for a little while, let it get to room temp, then you can smell it, right? Like if it's cold, you can't smell it. So my biggest issue I've always had with fresh presses is is that it's not there yet, kind of. It's like, all right, it's kind of like weed that's not fully cured because this is a curing process and the curing process is bringing things out. That oxidation is actually like causing, oxidation and agitation is going to Open up and bloom the the experience that you have, and like let more of those turbs out. That's why when when you look at guys that do cold cure, they'll sit there and take the fresh press and let it sit, and then it converts, and then they take it from conversion, and they'll show the two pictures. They'll show a picture of it like dry, sitting in the jar with a nice turp layer on top from sitting there, and they'll take it, whip it, and then show the next wet picture of all the texture and all the moisture is all through it. So it's post process, you know. Like what do I prefer, man? Just based on grab and go shredding turps it's like it's cultivar specific sometimes like it depends you know like for some reason the guavas and shit, and and any of the gmos i like those in fresh press because they're so strong there's so much there to experience that you can kind of oh okay i'm I'm on this end of the spectrum i'm going to pull in this direction and kind of see where you know there are other things like fuck man like you just look at different strains and and like a, a really good you know, great pie that's whipped, that's just, you know, anything from Heady Waters, you know, that's like so perfectly done in wet tech that's fucking mind blowing garlic juice or different things like that. Like, it just depends. It's, you know, I'm not one of those people who's like, who believes that there's a, that in every different strain, there's a different high. Like, I don't believe that shit. I think it's just, there's a battery in there. And this is how long that battery is going to have power more is what I kind of see it as. So like, that's why I like to take a 0.25 dab or a 0.5 dab because I'm always in the same place. You know, I'm fucking lit. Like that's where there is no other question about it, you know, and I can get more lit, like even, okay, let's do another, let's do the other half of that gram and get even more lit. And like, I think like to me, a good dab is recorded in an reaction of the dab. It's like, you know, you, you, You get done with the dab and, like, you have a You mean death or not death? The single tear. It's it's like being in a guillotine and escaping it. It's like this fucking experience. What about the drool? Do you get the drool? All that shit. Like, all right, so it's, for me, it's kind of evolved. COVID had had a weird reaction. Like, I had a weird reaction from COVID where after I got COVID, and I had the fucking vaccine, I had the booster, and I still got fucking COVID, right? So I get the, I get COVID and, you know, I watched, uh, you know, phone homie came here and we dabbed before he got COVID. And like, you know, like it was a really weird fucking thing to watch and kind of see, you know, what happened to him. And I was just like, oh, shit, you know, this is kind of crazy. So I got COVID and afterward, before COVID, I could take any size dab and never cough, like ever. It was just like, like, it was like yoga. It was so easy. And now... After COVID, there is a threshold where like, it'll make me cough now. And I'm like, motherfucker, you know, like, and I would really have to push it before. And I think it's just going to take time till I can get back to like yeah, that sure. level of comfort where I'm, you know, I could take like monster dragon ripping dabs, but those size dabs are what I like. I like that like hyper fucking confusion audio. Like you're sitting there with people and you're just having audio hallucinations. <laughs> you don't see a word. You're like, we're going to tap on for a few. I like more place. like I like being there because I know it's 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 not going to get worse than that it's not like super
3: uncomfortably day. high what's that like just uncomfortably high and then back out into like the comfort
2: yeah like edible on an international <laughs> like excuse me sir
3: but <laughs> yeah are you okay I
2: fun times on the plane
0: I want to I want to ask you about your thoughts on on mixing, resin, mixing, or blending, like squashes. Yeah. what are your thoughts? Like, do you, do you see it becoming more prevalent in the industry? Do you support it? Well, what do
2: you think about it? I love it. I love it. I think it's, you know, where you're looking at now you're taking ingredients and you're allowing a chef to create an offering. You know, you're allowing, what is it? It's a, it's a, it's a mixture of compounds and actives in a way that's going to then deliver to the palate, like, you know, and the person's going to experience it and and depending on how acute they are and, and understand it and their their how you know how much what their palate IQ is, I guess you would call it, uh, you know, they you see how well they enjoy it or what they think of that of that blend. So I think it's I mean one of my favorites is is uh you know a couple couple guys but one that comes to mind would be uh one of my favorites is uh swollen heads, Tito with how he does it, you know, he's sitting there and cultivating stuff and, and Jay from, from Professor Sift and, you know, some of these guys and, you know, Flynn from Woksauce Wineries, a little, you know, not so much in that direction, more purist, uh, but, you know, some of like, it's just, it gets so deep into, into what they can do. Some of them, like I have some melt from real cannabis, Chris, that won't, it won't grease. And I'm like, how the fuck, how? You know, and it's just, however, it's create, however he made it, like he and and then I have stuff from you know from different people that just kind of brings that like real, um, you know, brings the fucking heat. Like there's guys now that are blending, um, you know, there's again, there's always going to be purists. There's always guys are going to be like, oh, if you, you know, you should create a category in legends for blending, and it's like you should go fuck yourself. Like you should not say things like that. Like you should honestly like not tell people what they should do when it comes to um, bigger picture things like that, you know, especially what is it doing? It's challenging you. What is it doing? Is it making you feel uncomfortable? Well, good. That's a good fucking thing. You know, like, good. I'm glad you're uncomfortable. What comes out of that? You know, like, and then, and then again, if you did a blend that that's the guy who I say like, well, if you did a blend, what would you do? If you were going to do, what would you do? Because maybe it opens the door for them. Into this weird, uncomfortable, I'd rather die than do a blend. Yeah, it's like, I'd rather fuck that, man. Like, and you're like, well, what's a, what's a cross? Isn't that a blend on the fucking genetic side? And then you have to roll the dice and, like, never mind. Once again, talk about a Brad. Take a Brad and put him in the picture. What's a blend to Brad? A bl- you know, honestly, what blends are to me is they're, they're two fucking 1.8s getting together. And making a fucking viable yield so that you can have something to dab. Because we're not talking about BHO. We're not talking about every single strain has a representation, has value and representation. We're talking about, like, archaeology. And this site where these dinosaurs were, there's only half a brontosaurus, asshole. And over here, there's a fucking quarter of a pterodactyl. So now we got a pterodactylsaurus if we fucking put them together, right? Like, you're not going to not open the fucking, the, 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 the museum because you have the ass end of a brontosaurus and the front end of a pterodactyl no you're gonna fucking you're gonna put it together you're gonna trench it out out there in front of the people and you're gonna fucking show them and like it's the same thing with this because some people prefer a pterodactyl some people prefer a brontosaurus and like unless you're you know I always, I always like the archaeology reference when it comes to hash because that's what this is it's like you're taking it and separating it And then putting it in the purest form and it's it's even funnier it's like it's in its purest form now but if you do something wrong you're gonna fuck it up (laughs) so it's in its purest form and let's figure you know and it's like there's all this time and all this shit included in rules that continue and how you're going to get to continue to see this in its form and and environment changes its form just like us and it's like god it's there there's a time limit on on how long I can let this sit here or it's going to fucking change. Yeah, there is like, you know, there's people that don't understand that dried cannabis. Like there's some people that don't capture and understand the principle of the fact that if I take cannabis and I dry it and I collect the trim and I make hash out of that same process uh, using mechanical separation, or if I take wet material and I separate that, that there's different sizes to the heads and why. They don't understand. They're like, well, yeah. how come? And you're like, it's fucking dry. And, and, and dry. Grapes and, raisin. Raisin.
1: Grapes and raisins. Yeah. You know, yeah. dude, you're like, what the fuck do you mean? You know, even like fucking meat with jerky. Exactly. That shit shrinks up. Fruit with
2: sugar. Like, you know, when you remove moisture from fruit, it dehydrates it and it gives it a high sugar value. But now you have also fiber that's with it. You know, it make, gives it it's it returns the value because now you have fiber with sugar. People don't understand that. And it's like, it's just in another format. So, you know, when people ask me sometimes, they're like, oh, what's your favorite hash? I'm like, I'm the guy that's like, if it's, if it's separated from a cannabis plant and that's where it came from, it's hash. As far as I'm concerned. That's what hash is. It's a concentration of what's collected from the plant, then reintroduced, right? Now there's hash that's been post-processed to crc there's you know a million different ways to do this but what's your preference and what do you like and it's hash is way better than politics because there's more choices politics <laughs> you're like you're either a donkey or a fucking whatever you know <laughs> Hash, you could be like oh i like, I like this i like that I and mean, they're like all these different things there's so much room in there and and fire it's fire is better yeah it's like it's such a great guy like you know it, Dude, I've, I've gotten into circles of people that are like the dude in their area. And it's like, everyone's like, you got to fucking smoke some hash with the dude. And you're like, okay, and you sit down. And I'll sit with, sometimes sit with that dude and smoke. And we have completely fucking different taste because we have completely different access to the hash that's in front of us from different, completely different people. And, and like, I don't ever try to compare, you know, people sometimes will be like, dude, your fucking stash. Like I have a, a, a lunch box that's my stash because it's like, you're seeing so many hash makers all the time and you're kind of like, this is what I do for a living. I work in the space of curating material for makers and and all these things. So you're going to have a lot of paintings if, you, if that's what you do. You know? You're going to have a lot of examples of it. So it's, but to me, it's more like any person I run into, I'm like, oh, you got to try this hash, like dig in and like, and I, cause I want to see what they think and get their experience. Cause mine's so jaded. That it's it's ridiculous. It's like you know we're getting to see things that aren't even fucking out yet, and, and you know having seven ten send you like ambassador fucking things like that shit's ridiculous. It's not not every person is is getting that same experience. So um, cool. I just, I'm just super grateful for it. Like like I'll I still to this day will sit there and take a dab and be like fuck yeah. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I, I still get giddy and like super excited about it, and that's what's rad is that it's like you know. But but the other half of all this, like so, what I posted the other day, is health, and that's what you know. I yeah. always try to tell people that it's like your health is really important, man. Like the whole burner, the whole burner situation should be a huge eye opener to a lot of people that you could be burner and you could be that successful and you could have Wiz Khalifa at your birthday and all these fucking cool things. But you're not going to be there for next year's birthday if you don't pay attention to your health. You could have all the money in the world, and you're probably gonna. There's a system that they built to take all your fucking money to get your health back. It works really well. And and, it, and it's it's an interesting system. And, you know, what is the saying? It's like, you know, you can pay for organic food now or you can pay for fucking health care later, you know? And it's the same thing with, like, I look at it as, like, you can pay attention to your health now instead of paying your fucking healthcare company later. You know, you can, like, I'm starting a thing right now where I'm taking cold showers in the morning. I don't want to fucking do that. That shit is trash, bro. That is the fucking that's where, that's where trash of tr- That is the most uncomfortable, like non-intuitive fucking thing you could possibly ever fucking do. And then do this too. Think about the fact that like, if you really get into it, then you're going to spend money every day to freeze your dick hole off. First thing in the morning, like, but those but that the you know the cold shock values of that and the, the other things that you get from it or gut health you know you, for me it was like the light turned on and i realized that like all the mitochondria in my body is built in my gut and if i have shitty gut health then every 7 years all the cells in my body that are replacing themselves that cycle there's an error in that cycle every time every 7 fucking years i've got shitty mitochondrial you know inputs in every cell that i have in my body and you know, I'm not in line with the sun because of an addiction to the fucking phone or whatever. It's like you know you gotta you know and i'm not the, I'm not the guy that like wakes up and doesn't touch the phone I'm like no, I wake up and grab my phone and I look at shit. I want to be informed and then I might go meditate or do something else and you know, but it's like not everything's gonna work, but give it some effort at least like pay attention to light intake, pay, pay attention to to all these things. you know, pay attention to all these different things because You're not going to, you know, you're curating this great life for yourself, just like your hash collection. And you're also curating your health. Like if you don't pay attention, how are you going to get to enjoy it? You know, like how are you going to get to benefit from a Bitcoin investment? You won't be alive in five fucking years. How are you going to get to, you know, watch anything else, anything change? How are you going to get to like get into the industry and get that job and be that dude? If that's what you're looking to do, you know, you're not going to get it sipping lean. You're not going to get it fucking you know, being stupid with the firearm, you're not going to get it ripping people off. You're not going to get it doing that shit. If you want to impress people with who you are and have them talk about you and love you, you're going to do it by like doing rad shit. And like, you know, And that's why I'm always so down to like inspire people because it's, you know, it takes inspiration from every level. Like it's, it's to do rad shit. Like it takes inspiration. It takes people catching someone off guard and like making their day and stoking them out. And it's, you know that stuff is what matters too because that's the fuel that kind of gets people over that over that point where it's there you know where they're like afraid of something or or they they look on social media and think the person that they're looking at is like this invincible soul that doesn't shit themselves every once in a while it's like no that's not the case at all like we all fucking shit ourselves every once in a while you know hopefully less than others but you know if it's a big dab maybe you shit yourself <laughs> So that, you know, that's why that, that inspirational message I try to always, that's why, that's for me. Like, that's, I don't know if people realize that, but that shit's to like motivate me. Yeah. And I'm just like coming up with that thing and sharing it and being like, oh, does this bring value to someone else? It's like, and that's, that's honestly what it is. It's, you know, it's like, it's a lot, it's podcasts and that shit. And like, ask yourself a question and, and not be so afraid of or bothered by like the fucking the 19 year old that writes cringe on your, on your post that inspires fucking 60 people. You know, you just, you look at it and you look at their page. You're like, Oh, I'm, I'm fucking six. Oh, I'm, oh, drink lean. And I'm like, Oh, we'll block and delete the message, you know, or something. And it's like, it's, it, you can let it all in, but when you let it all in, you're going to be the filter of that shit. So you know, don't let as much of it in. And, and I mean, let in good hash, like let that in and see where that leads you. If it motivates you, awesome. If it confuses you and causes problems, then you need to tighten some shit up because it's a superpower that you can gain by tightening shit up and managing that sort of love for hash that will, that will, I've seen it take people out of the fucking stratosphere. Like I've seen, I've seen friends of mine change zip codes because of hash. I've seen, you know, I've seen, uh, people turn their entire life around and become more aware and more understanding of a love for, for the plant and a love for hash. So, uh, you know, I've never seen other things do that, uh, which is, you know, why I think it's safe to kind of stay in this lane and, and shred turps and fucking just have fun. Yeah. You know? Man, I, I couldn't
0: agree more. So as somebody who sees, uh, a, a ton of different resin and rosin from a ton of different makers, both using commercial units and you uh, utilizing paddles, do you feel that there is a ceiling that commercial solventless extraction units have as far as quality goes when compared to a paddle or do you feel yeah just that's my
2: question yeah i think there is i don't think we've hit it yet i think it's because what you got to understand is if you hit it and then the production value of the input raises then you go past it right so if the inputs are greater And, you know, again, it's, we're talking about mechanical separation. So the lack of contaminant and the, the lack of contaminant along with the abundance of quality inputs is going to make better hash, especially, you know, it's all about what catches up to what, at what time. Right. And if the, and if production gets better, you know, say now say a thing like pipeline, what pipeline allows is for breeders to really be able to present genetics that get to the market more quickly. If they get to the market more quickly, they push through the fog and get to the get to the end consumer more quickly is what that means. The end consumer's input or response to that is what's going to popularize and direct the rest of the industry because that's what a market does. So you know it's the the more the merrier, but I think what's I don't think it's reached that point yet. i've I've seen there's guys doing like look at heritage. You know, look at look at uh, E.T. and some of the new production there. Look at these, you know, uh, 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 three you know a 200 compared to a, a 150 or something. like just look at, look at how good the product is, but you can also ask that maker at the same time, you know, when they wipe that first spoon in there, or when they're looking in the glass and seeing what's collecting, um, it's always the same thing. It's like, there, in their heart, they're like, "I hope this fucking material is good enough." right like that's what they're thinking and then if you come back from that moment in time before that they were literally looking at the material being like but before that in that moment of time for them they knew the farmer and they looked at the plan on the thing and i fucking wrote this thing and be, and before that a week before they did a fucking a, a jar tech test and they were like milk oh. like, okay and so it's it's it has to be you know hack can you sit there and say that this winter? This, this gram, right, that you have in your hand was the perfect farmer, the perfect cultivar, the perfect setting in the laboratory and the perfect yield and outcome with the perfect packaging environment into the perfect storage situation, which then presented in front of you as the best fucking hash you've ever tried in your life. Like, sure, but we're not there yet. Like, there's so many things that can be perfected to get there. Like, I think the best dab I ever take will be the dab I take before I die, right? Like, that's the best dab. Like, the last one I took is the best one, you know, because it took you to the portal of fucking hash, man. Like, it brought you to, you know, you, you took it in. So, I think it, we're not there yet. I think we're getting closer and closer, and I think that um, as, we, as we creep close enough to the point where um, we're scaling too much to produce quality material... It's it's going to keep rising because the quality of the material is going to rise. The quality of what's coming in, like just this is the first year of pipeline. This is the first time there's ever been a conduit built to to really weed things out and bring things to the forefront more quickly so we can get a faster response and understanding of what is quality and what's there. And like, I mean, can someone say that they've ever curated 46 strains of of solventless producing strains that are above 4% from from six or seven different breeders. Like, I don't know if anyone's really, you know, like they don't have the space to do that or the capacity. So now that you're, you're doing it the first time and then you're planning and coordinating with very successful business people and companies to bring this to the culture consistently that now you're really going to fucking now 10 turns into 11, you know, you're like, oh, fuck it's, you know, if there's going to be a fucking seven star. It's going to come out of some, some of this shit. It's going to come out of, you know, like what's, I always ask, I'm always like, well, what's the next GMO and why is GMO the way it is? And most people are like, oh, well, GMO is, they want to talk about Michigan and they want to talk about cookies. And you're like, no, why is GMO the way it is? It's, it's because of that cuticle size, that big ass fucking head in there that you can breed with that's dominant as shit that transfers into whatever you make, whatever you're you're going to create from the progenitor and the same thing with banana strains and the same thing with fucking these other ones, you know, you're fucking around. All you're doing is like, and this is what I tell everybody, me and Marcus joke about this. Everyone, you can take every fucking maker, every fucking breeder, every fucking guy you got, all of them. And none of them can hold a fucking candle to Samus Gun. You can't, you're not going to touch the knowledge of understanding of, of breeding for outcomes, Breeding. for outcomes. You want to breed for this or bag appeal or whatever, like that's cool. But breed for hash production solventless specific using old world methods, not the icon or this, right? Like that's, that's the craziest shit ever. Like the info in that dude's head, which, you know, I'm, I'm super stoked to be working with Marcus to, to be able to get that. Some of that stuff out of Sam's head and out of Marcus's head and into the general public. Why? Because it's going to push this shit even further, and maybe that last dab that I take really is the best dab I ever fucking take, you know.
1: Like, and that's if you can can help us uh, get in touch with them, we'd love to have them on the show to spread that knowledge. (laughs) Yeah, for sure, I'd love to, uh, Sam. I don't think Sam's ever going to do
2: like a a interview like this. I But when he's on Trash Church, he does like uh, he has a Dr. Seuss stuffed animal that sits there, and the camera's just on the stuffed animal.
1: (laughs) That's cool. I, I appreciate we, that. Well, that would be
2: legit. Yeah. No, we're talking. That's cool, man. Like we're talking right now with Marcus um, about the concept of hash church, about the concept of NFTs, and using the NFT as a as an access point into that whole world. Where if you purchase a certain NFT, you would have access to to different hash churches, or access to Marcus, or access to an an, an actual hash church with, you know, to get. There are makers who would. Who would love to have a piece of history in the ter- in, in the form of a photo or a picture, which is an NFT, but then the contract that connects that that's connected to that would, would give a ton of access for somebody. And in our world, when we talk about it, I mean, what maker wouldn't want to have a 45 minute to an hour opportunity to talk with Marcus and Sam together in a private, you know, one and do that once once every uh you know every other quarter because now the value of that once that maker's had it and he's used it and gotten that value, there's other makers that want to buy that from him and buy that access. And that's kind of, you know, that idea and a lot of the stuff that Gary V's doing for his conventions and the access, we just look at that stuff and we skew it a bit differently for cannabis for what we're doing. You know, and then look at NFTs for access to uh you know look at grandiflora and a brand. And you know, if if every if every eighth that you bought from Grandiflora, or every product that they sold, had an NFT that authenticated that purchase, then it would give you access now. Because NFTs are really about community. That's what people don't realize. Like an NFT is like the old splash page, but instead of just a place you go, now there's some there's some instruction there. There's a contract. There's access points into other things based on its value. So when you start to incorporate that into stuff like could you imagine buying a piece of art and then it's a it's a ticket to a sesh that you can always go to no matter what. And you just show it on your phone and you have your ticket and there's like a VIP section and all the guys that on that one get to go to this place. Like, and like that's really where NFTs are kind of going. So uh, or or even look at access to Marcus's um, educational platform, you know, for his stuff. And so we're kind of, you know, legends is we're we're going to be. We're going to be soon releasing this. This legends is the first legends that ever had a professional photographer take photos of every one of the entries. So we did multi-layer photos of all the entries with, uh, with zoom garden. Um, our homie came out, Nick and, and did all the photos for us. And, um, and we have really cool stuff we're about to come out with that will create a much bigger community around hash and allow. Uh, Allow people to kind of, you know, all of the heads that are in hash will now be able to create a wallet, get involved, have access to other things. Because a lot of the art around us, uh, you know, a lot of the guys from Elbow and the Glass community as well are going in that direction to make it where you purchase these NFTs, you'll have access to this. And, you know, heaters at some point may be that you have to purchase, a, you know, beforehand you have to purchase an NFT and that's your ticket into heaters. So that's your ticket into champs or that's your ticket into the next chalice or something. And, you know, that's kind of where all this is going, but what it does away with is this fake Instagram shit. Now someone can't, can't you know, pretend that they're you because we authenticate everything. We get to the point now where even my post, you know, I could put a post up and in the post, there could be a, a, a QR code and you have to screen the QR code. I and mean, then it takes you to my actual, what the fuck I'm actually trying to talk to you about. Where if my competitor or someone else, when you get to end point, you can look at the the URL and be like, this isn't the fucking real one. So here we go. Now we can authenticate things and show in reality, you know, like there's, you know, a lot of guys that what gives people away when they're bullshitting is, is the false marketplace for purchase. If you think about it, because a lot of these companies have no marketplace for purchase, like, no. And as soon as you see this fucking marketplace for purchase, you're like, wait a minute, like Miranda Florida doesn't sell weed online. Like fuck is this? You know, it's, people don't realize that, but that's going to help with a lot of these things. A lot of glassblowers, um, you know, they're getting into that space and there's conversations with some of the biggest guys right now. And so 800 uh, Kevin spearheading and putting together a really big NFT offering and a platform and a space and an entire community for hash. Um, so we can get stuff done in this place and kind of, you know, be ahead of the curve on that stuff and and be able to, you know, be like, all right, well, fuck, we were paying attention, you know? For once you know so um, but yeah we're kind of thinking about stuff in that direction doing some of those things to kind of bring in that that new era that's a dope spin on it man i really like
3: that approach to it and that kind of like optics approach to it it's uh yeah i think that's that's super cool i never really thought about it in terms of that application
2: yep um but yeah that's awesome yeah it'd be cool because we've got legends so we we started thinking about you know and then you got Marcus and everything that he's put together there and then you see the real value and um and just I mean I I'm super grateful when I get to sit there and talk to Mark me and Marcus will get on the phone and do like a zoom call and we're on the phone for like three and a half hours. Like it's because it's just so much shit that I'm picking his fucking head and you know and look at that guy like that guy's he'll fucking do shit where like you he said he'll send me a picture of a of a uh, of like a row of freezers. And then like open the freezer or something and it's just fucking full of melt. Like, eh, you know, th- he lives this insane life that like, and I don't know about you guys, but anytime I look into a freezer of, of melt, I'm like, oh, I could sit here for hours, man. Like, all right, what's low, where do he start? What do you have? So it's like, yeah, so he's uh, it's, it's a pleasure working with him, man. Like I'm super stoked. I'm looking forward to what we're going to do with legends moving forward. And we should have, should be reaching out and kind of talking a little more about it by like June. That's when we're kind of aiming for like June, July uh, to do like the next thing with, with uh, California and hopefully it is in NorCal. That's kind of where we're aiming and hoping to do it. And, uh, you know, get uh, get get the next steps in uh, pipeline moving forward with the, uh, you know, can't talk about too much of it, but it's, you know, pipelines kind of evolved into uh into a much different uh, situation for us. It's you know, it went from like a, a sales model for Florence into its next evolution, um, that we're kind of getting into right now. So we're putting together, uh, working hard on the deck and building some stuff to get to finally for once to go from like the fringe of the rec market into the actual rec market with some stuff. So, um, in a, in a way that's not competitive to the people that we serve and that we work with. So yeah, you know, just enhancing and kind of bringing more to the table. So it'd be a fun year to kind of see. To see what the fuck we can pull off with these monkey brains that's full of hash. So <laughs> that's super dope. So
0: as we as we wrap into our final questions, I've got a few more. But I, I Addison, I really want to know like what your take is on the future of of dabbing and and resin consumption. Um, do you think that we're going to see a an explosion in the glass community and a more widely accepted uh, you know torch, or do you think that we're going to have to evolve our technology? um into something more acceptable like like a puff call or better w- what are your thoughts in that in that area
2: no no and i think that it's hash and glass does what it wants it doesn't ask it fucking just does what it likes and it always has um it's you know glass artists are you know they're exactly that they're artists so they're not you know you could say the same thing about makers you know they're extraction artists you know and now you're wrangling fucking artists and you're trying to Predict what they do, and it's like it's a lot easier to just sit back and watch the show and enjoy it, and allow it to kind of evolve. And I think that it's not going anywhere. It doesn't ask permission. It's never ask permission for shit. You know, it's it's like you wake up one morning and some glassblower's like, "Hey, face guess what? Marbles are cool now." And you're like, "What the fuck?" And like, <laughs> you're like, "Wait, what?" And like, balls? There's balls in here? And like, you know, it's just fucking. It just it tells you what's going on. And and someone tell me different. You know, someone fucking tell me that like, you know, there's some dude in an office somewhere that's gonna yeah, that's gonna tell us exactly. Like we get high and look at these things for hours, man. Like there's it's like, you know, you, you get into uh just the evolution of this and you know, what do I think is next? Um I think like you know, I think what you're gonna see is uh a lot more um you know, a lot more of the recyclers that's, you know, things went to tubes and people like tubes and tubes were dope. And, you know, everybody had a tube and, and those were kind of like the popular thing. And I think now it's kind of coming back. If you look at like Paco just introduced a brand new recycler and, and these guys are just getting better and better and fucking better at it. And I think it's, um, you know, it, it went to like really small rigs for a minute, you know, and now things are kind of getting, you know, like bouncing out. Know, yeah, they're kind of bouncing back up in size and some stuff like that. And uh, you know, it's really in terms of the concentrates. I don't think there's much further that you can go. Like nothing makes me vomit more in my mouth than some dude telling me that he's got the next big thing and concentrates. I'm like, all right, fucking Ronald, I'm cool with that. You know, fucking <laughs> some weird ass shit that doesn't doesn't really do it for you. You know, where it's like, hey man, you know the 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 fucking gas engine is pretty is still pretty cool you know like you get behind the wheel of an amg fucking 12 cylinder monster like 800 900 horsepower brabus or something and fucking take that thing sideways wow. and, and then brake as quickly as they brake and and get on an on ramp at 120 fucking miles an hour and just run game like a monster and 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 you know jump up hills like a killer and and feel the torque of those cars like that shit ain't going anywhere. That's not gonna go anywhere. You're just gonna refine it and make it better. So I think that like when it comes to our shit and what we do, you know, and you go electric with what we do and you try to, you know, I see these different machines with the fucking this and that, and like none of it, as far as I'm concerned, and and if you're honest and you're being truthful and you're not trying to sell your fucking product, like none of it can touch quartz. Like you can't properly nothing can fuck with a properly capped dab at the right temperature with with you know with your shit correct it's like i don't i don't like people are like oh i can take my puff go in the car really like i can drive with my leg and and take a fucking brain altering fucking like an exhale like i'm gonna fly off the exit fucking dab in my car and it works and it's like you need one every fucking two and a half hours maybe and you get to where you're going, and you're like, yeah, boy, like, you know, it's like, I don't really <laughs> Like, the pot, like no offense to anybody, but get the fuck out of here, dude. Yeah. Fuck, yeah. And I know some, I see so many people, and, and they're like, well, bro, have you tried the new, with the fucking, and it? it's like, really? Really? Like, have you fucking, have you ever had your prostate milk? Like, what the fuck are we talking about here? Like, you don't need to. No, look Oh, yeah, dude, and, and then you see some shit, too. Like, I saw that shit with, uh, again, like, you know, no offense to anybody, but yeah, what, I love, what I love about the internet is that it always fucking wins. And, like, you know, I saw some, some people taking the new colored puff Puffco's and putting them in kilns and then finding out that it's paint. And it's like, dude, what the fuck, man? At what point did you ever tell anybody when you were selling that thing initially that it's fucking coated in paint? Is anyone surprised? Yeah, look, well, here's the thing. Like, I don't use Visine in one fucking
1: eye.
2: <laughs> so I'm not going to half get high for convenience. Like, it doesn't, no. I, and here's the other thing, too. You got brilliant companies like AVD that invented the the oscillating, you know, ohm levels in, in some of the new technology that you see in hardware. And what that means is you go from 1.8 ohms to 2.4 ohms. And it just oscillates and gets hot and then goes back down to the lower ohm setting and then goes up and then goes back. And those are like the haptic ones that are buzzing. And you're getting for rosin, you you bring it right up to the verge of boil and then you let it come back down. You're up to the wrist and now you're not like overheating or fucking anything up. And like, sure, that works, but that works for like my greedy, stupid ass when I can't get a dab. But when I'm in a setting and I can take a fucking dab, like, Dude, you will never come into my house ever or into my space and find me like making that the preference. And that's just sure. Is that my choice? Of course it is. Is that my discipline? Yes, it is. I'm not going to fucking, I don't want to get half fucking high. And, and and another thing too is for me to take a dab that's proper in size, for me to really get that, like that single fucking tier T boat out, fucking even like, I'm gonna yeah. go there, I want to go there every time. And in order, and I, I'm going to take a dab before we get done, but and in order to get there, that's not getting me there. That's like having my fucking 12-year-old give me a back rub. I'm like, hey, what's, what's shiatsu? Like, no, that's not, that's not rolling. That's not fucking really addressing the problem and, and, and scratching the itch, I guess. Like, and for me, in order to, if someone gives me their puffco. And say where I get somewhere, and they're like, "Oh, bro, did you go to try? I'm like, "Oh, okay." And I'll sit there and I'll break that fucking puffco within within 35 minutes. It won't work anymore. Gunked up, fucked up. When I could have sat there with my rig and taken those dabs and put it all away and bounced out and taken a dab when I got home, so I don't see the value. I also in- find that there's no flavor on them. It's robot dabs, dude. Like, it's uh, what do I expect? You know, like now, my now, if you talk about the pelly nail and he's talk about the technology and the pelly nail, that technology fits into my rig. So I can take a, a thir- 2013 JD Mapleson fucking egg and I can slap that fucking pelly nail on it with that, with that uh, specific nail with like the little tail on the nail with the coil on it. And I can hit it. I can smoke melt all day in that thing and leave it on, and it's the perfect fucking hit every time. Or I can grab this and I can fucking melt my face with a slurper, and and it's and it. Neither one of those things are even the same language as a puffco. They don't even fucking. What the fuck are you talking about? Like, and I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to sit here for someone's profit and pretend that that's the best fucking way to do this. Like, I'm just, I don't have to. That's the reason. And if anyone asks why, because I don't have to. I'm not beholden to anybody. I don't have to sit there. And, you know, and if I post a video of, a, of me hitting some other rig, Depi doesn't text me and be like, bro, what the fuck? And I know that there are some fucking dudes that are Puffco loyalists. If they get seen taking a picture of some other shit, they're getting a fucking text or some, Hey, bro, what the fuck, man? It's like, no, go fuck yourself. That's some fanboy shit. That's some I, fanboy shit. Like that's I want
0: I want to ask you about the flavor direction you see the solventless market heading. Um and and then maybe the cannabis market in general and if they mirror each other or not, but you know, are there specific fruits or other flavor profiles that you're seeing that are gonna that you think will become more prom- prominent in the next few years?
2: I mean, I think as you get into opening up you know like look at the burgers and the tickles and the fucking you know the burgers are coming on with a lot of different stuff masonic is you know edgar's a fucking is such a a, a national treasure like he should have full-time security protecting him for all the hash makers because he really is like he's so creative and, and, and I, I can't i really can't you know get into how much I, I appreciate edgar and what he does because he's he's that energy he's that vibe he's like you know, smart on the tech side too, and, and doing a lot for, for all of us, you know, and bringing new stuff in. So I would say like what I see as the future is, is, you know, Wilson crosses and, and, you know, some of the breeders that are in, in, you know, pipeline, like the, the, just bringing shit. That's phenomenal numbers, you know, North of 5%, North of 7%. Um, And in terms of just the flavor profiles, uh, you know, we have these conversations on hash church sometimes about like, what is a terpene and what, what is it made up of? And like, is it a flat, is it mainly made up of flavonoids or, or is it esters? And, you know, esters are in their own group and category and like, it's a little more complex and are they sesquiterpenes or monoterpenes? And, and you start getting into like, I love those conversations because you start to understand specifically subsets of flavor and subsets of scent. And where they all come from, and you know what is making skunk smell that way, and what is what is making things turn purple, and you know you start getting into all that because that's all the chemistry that's involved, and, and what's the compounds that are in the plant, which all is accentuated and brought forward in hash production, in solventless hash production specifically. So, are is going
3: to continue to be popular? What's that? Are thiols just going to continue to get more and
2: more popular? I think thiols are like, you know, that's like your beginner kind of, ooh, like, ooh, what's this? It's it's purple, Dave. It's fucking purple. <laughs> like, it's cool. But if you look at our game and the name of our game, like when we see thiols, we see that citrus kind of, you know, so I'm more interested in like, all right, is is that related to uh, a uh, a flavonoid that's colored? And is that, flav- you know, because CBD is, is purple. You know, it, it's bind. It binds with that. That's why, like, when you dab isolate, which is ninety nine point nine percent, like you isolate, right? It still has that cherry flavor. It's because that flavonoid binds with that compound that with CBD, and you you ain't getting them apart, dude. Like you don't. So sometimes they're such, you know, they're like that fucking song, like so happy together, like they're best friends, man. They ain't never coming apart. And mm-hmm. I wonder sometimes if some if that's what's going on in some of these things we're like with thiol there's a a certain flavonoid that binds with it and it's like you know for us it's like cocktail like we always see that citrus flavor with anything that's got that purple color look at lemon dog shit look at any of those fucking things man look at like twins which is that new one and they're all citrusy you know they all have that to it so science if, if you pay close enough attention you'll you'll hear what it's saying you know like you just gotta kind of you know not be so emotional, <laughs>
0: I, wanted to, uh, I wanted to ask you about yields because you're you know through the pipeline and and with eight hundred pounds you're connected with a, or pound, you're connected with a lot of uh a lot of these breeders. Do you feel as though GMO has set a mark that can only be attained and hovered around, or do you feel there's more genetic potential for higher yields than that? yeah, I mean, you think
2: of what lends to the yield? Like as I mean, it surprises me that growers that, you know, consider themselves to be good growers that have been in this game for a long time, flower guys that have been doing this for a long time, that they wouldn't realize that if you don't put your ego aside, when you harvest that material for fresh frozen and harvest it specifically for solventless hash making, then you're not doing any justice to the maker at the end. And that's, that's a, it's a real truth because and you could see it in test washers. You can, you can take a crew that does harvest to flower and have them harvest the material the same way and then freeze it, right? Send that to a maker and the maker's like, okay, I can work with it. You know, they work with it. And you look at the yields. Then you go and you take that same crew and you educate them on what you do want and don't want to be in the bag as it's getting frozen before it's getting prepared to go or as it's being bucked. And once you do that, You could get a 25% higher yield, a full, a full percentage point in, in your yield, because you taught that crew on what the threshold of what's necessary and what's not necessary in this finished product and how it should be prepared and how it should be stored and how it should be transported. And all those things matter, you know, like at, at pyramid pipeline, we thought about it and we're like, all right, well, our aim needs to be, let's take 20 makers and let's ask them. What's the most impressive thing you see when you, when you get material that comes in? What's the fucking, the you know, the Mecca Medina highest level expected? What do you want to see? And when you do that, they all want it to be one certain way. You want that smile on their face. You want them to be fucking it. You want them to skip lunch to run this shit. You know, you want that response from them. How do you get that? It starts with how the product is harvested. And how it is bucked, and what's not there, and what is there, because those slight, tiny little—like I said, you do it, you don't do it. I, we've done it. We've looked at it go from a, a, you know, a four percent down to a three percent, down to a two point nine percent, because from the, you know, we supervised the capture on the test wash, but didn't supervise the capture on the, the, you know, hundred pounds that got sold. And then when the hundred pounds that got sold, you look at it and it's exactly, it's a 3% yield, not a 4%. yield. So now for that maker, that's 25% difference in yield, 25% difference in volume. That's huge. When you got to pay for packaging, you got to pay for everything else. That's why you're aiming for a 4% because a 4% when it's finished is going to come out as, you know, a, a profitable product, a product where you got some space, you got some room. You know, you can give it a whirl. You can try it out. And that's kind of, you know, you got to put yourself in everybody's shoes. And, you know, when you're, when you're in the farmer's shoes, where are you at? What does the farmer want? When you're in the breeder's shoes, what does the breeder want? The same thing with the maker. Like, what's the maker looking for? Because the maker's not the numbers guy. He's the dude in the lab. He's got the numbers guy coming back and climbing up his ass every fucking two weeks when they, when they tally everything up and figure out that he just paid 250 bucks a unit for shit that went out, you know, two, not even didn't even hit 2%. You can't keep doing that, you know, contrary to, to what some people think you can't do that, you know, and, and sure it might be great to blend with, but it's not going to be something that's going to really make it, you know, so the yields have to be there, but how the capture occurs, uh, and how that's put together on the farm side, that's really what matters. Like that's, that's, you know, bullshit in is bullshit out. And if you remove a tiny bit of particulate, remove a tiny bit of plant matter. And then multiply the units by X. You just made a big difference in your final yield—a big difference. It's like a, it's like the pond. You know, you drop a pebble in the pond. The the pebble in the pond goes really strong in with hash production. You know, you some asshole uses some fucking oily weird shit meme or something at the end, and that shit gets into your solvent. Was ah fuck? You know, like it's always one asshole in a Prius can fuck everything up, is what I say. Just, just takes one.
0: So. I, I wanted to talk a little bit more about hash yields and, and, you know, as you have a real insight on the Cali industry, do you see um, people calculating their, their yields differently as being an issue within the community? Or do you think that's something that'll sort itself out? Or do you think we need to scrap the whole system and determine a new way to calculate yields?
2: No, it sorts itself out because, you know, if you, again, like I just said, it's it's not just it's not just. It's not like my my fucking laboratory that I have in the garage. You know, yeah. this is a business, and this is is a, a metric number that connects the material that comes in that that you know we're going to have to pay. Hey, if I'm the type six, oh, I'm going to have to pay uh, cultivation tax on this when we sell it. Okay, so there's one there's one thing that you got to pay for. If you do that all the way down the line, and you look at the 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 percentage that comes out when you run the material, if it's low, it's low. It's it. It's not sustainable. It's business applies to everything. If it's not sustainable, you can't keep doing it. You know, this isn't like when we grew weed and we just added more lights. Like what, what's the problem? Add another light. No problem. You know, that's all you fucking did. Get a bigger basin, add another light. Like (laughs) this is different. This is like math. This is real math and math does not fucking lie. So, you know, the, 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 the fact that, um, you can't, you can't fib that, you know, you can't sit there and square into a fucking circle because it's not profitable. And that's, that's just it. It's like, you know, it's, it, there's no room for that shit. And when you see, you see guys come in with, you know, for example, like big companies with huge investment, like, you know, for instance, like say, say tomorrow morning, we wake up in California and laser cat is coming to California. And laser cat's just like, oh, you've never seen the size of this dick swing. Because we've been hanging out in Colorado this whole time and we've just been greenhousing you motherfuckers to death and we got all the money we're coming to Cal, like say they came out tomorrow and said, we just got investment in the laser cat and we're now at $275 million company coming into California. And we're going to fucking control it. It's like, no, you're not, you're not because without X, Y, Z and all these other things in place, you're not doing shit. You're not yeah. going to do that. It's more than just money. Again, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast every fucking time. It's it's always going to do the same thing. And I love it when the med men come in or the blah, 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 blahs come in where you're just not realizing that there's other ways to make money in business through failure, there are other ways that you don't even know about, other ways that leave, that leave a shell structure and an investment that can then be taken and reinvested in and make even more fucking money. There's shit going on in business that we haven't even wrapped our heads around. That looks like failure, but it's actually fucking someone's property, and they don't care. They just use your playground to, yeah. to fuck around and do their shit, and, yeah. and until it regulates, until it goes to blob, you know, to that, you know, I watch Shark Tank. I know what the fuck's going on. Right. So yeah, that goes. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Speaking to speaking to the California market, just a little bit more. Do you see a future where? cannabis like specifically flower is not graded valued or judged based on THC content or is that something that we're not going to be able to overcome for a very long time
2: it's it's already not you know it's already not because the way you're seeing high numbers is you're getting people taking THCA and adding as it as a whole to THC one converted one not converted and then calling it a TAC number a total active cannabinoids number or a total active or a TAT number total active It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? You can't combine acidics with non-acidics and then have a whole number at the end without a, without a decarboxylation or an account for decarboxylation. It's just, it's not, it's not like, okay, is that how they add the total fat in your fucking, in your sandwich you just ate? No, that's not how they add it because that's not the math that's used to add that. It's like, what do you, what do you measure the size of your dick from your asshole? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Again. You're using incorrect math to get something. So when you can fib that way and say that your shit is blah, 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 42% THC and it's a flower, you're just like, oh, okay, I I guess fucking, this is the metaverse we're in. All right, fucking cool. Like, yeah. Like, no, dude, that's not, it's not even metabolically possible. Again, like, have you ever seen a fucking 13 foot tall person? No. Nope. You're probably not going to because people fucking can't function at 13 feet tall. Your, your, your fucking circular system would be trash and you like a fuck. Would you be a wreck dude? It's like, no, you mutant fuck, you know, like it's, and you know, it's, it's a misrepresentation that's, that people get away with that skews the reality or the understanding of, of what's really there. And it allows people to live in this sort of fucking really kind of, interesting world that says one thing that's not the other. And to answer the question more directly, like, um, THC doesn't matter anyway. It doesn't, you know, no, not. it doesn't matter there, at all. It's like, you know, if, people, yeah. if people really knew the math of smoking, like you inhale something. Okay. Whatever the total value of THC that you just inhaled, 30% of it's going to go into your system. Only 30%. Why? Is the way your lungs work and the fact that only 30 percent is going to get through and then even 30 percent probably not and then the fact that you're a pussy and you fucking didn't even take a real hit probably not again you know like you didn't get anything it's like you, me and you could smoke a joint that's 15 percent thc and in the end what the fuck are we really walking away with like 22 percent thc like no i can take a fucking a quarter of a gram dab and get 60 to 70 milligrams of thc In one fucking bang, 70 milligrams of THC in one whack. And like, come on now. We're not even talking about 100 milligram edible converting or nothing. We're talking 60 milligrams to the dome. No wonder why you cry. No wonder why you want to take a shit. No wonder why you're not hungry for the next 20 minutes. You just fucking, you just mega shocked your entire system. Like it's never felt before. That's what dabs did. Like people, you know why people were passing out? Because you just mega dosed yourself with fucking THC like you've never been able to before. Like, nah. That's why people were like, fucking. it's like, bro, you just took in 60 milligrams of THC when you were used to smoking shitty ass weed with your buddy and, and splitting that 150 milligram joint that you might have walked away with fucking 16 milligrams of THC each on. It's like, get the fuck out of here. Like, I smoke a joint and, and I'm like, okay. You know, like someone, and then never mind, just the high, like the whole like hygiene of smoking a joint with someone nowadays, like after COVID, I'm like, what are you fucking done? We work at the weed business, like smoke your own joint. Like, I don't need to fucking, I don't need to smoke a joint. You want to make out when we get finished? Like, no. like Yeah, like, Even with rigs now, it's like ISO and, you know, I'll go to a search and like, if someone wants to hit the rig, I'm like, oh, I have some ISO, like I can clean it for you or something. Okay. Just... It's just different now, you know, like, I like, I think masks are awesome. I think everyone should wear a fucking mask all the time. Like, I don't want to smell anyone's breath. I want to fucking, I want to know what my breath smelled like. And the mask tells me that too. It's all good. You know, like, I'm not worried about that shit. So that's, that's, it's funny too.
0: Can we expect uh, a reoccurrence of the mothership connection with the legends dinners going forward?
2: Yes, there's a, there's some really cool things. I think what you're going to see moving forward is, uh, you know, keep your eyes peeled for like a series drop where uh, the, the people that purchase the rigs uh, from anywhere in the country get to go to legends, you know, cool things like that, where we, you know, what's cool is that there's no real boundaries uh, for us in terms of the creativity and, you know, keep your eyes peeled for an actual legend series you know, and, and things like that, you know, so we, so the, you know, keep your eyes peeled for legends, Pacific Northwest with mothership and, you know, some cool shit like that, where like Deppie's very, very intrigued by it and likes it. Um, he's way into it. He's, he loves hash culture and it's a, for him, the, the, the big selling point to him, I think is always going to be, you know, come smoke hash and hang out. And, and then the, when you look at the business component and the business part of it, as long as we figure it out correctly. Then we're making sure that the right people are coming to the event that have focus on the glass that want to get it. And we can enhance that experience, whether it's through NFTs or, um, just through, you know, presenting the glass online beforehand and bringing people's attention to it, drawing in the people that are purchasing, and then those people getting an actual pass to legends, um, and us incorporating mothership that way. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, you'll continue to see that you'll continue to see, uh, you know, Workerson and other artists, and continue to you know to see um, a lot of different makers. I mean, for us, there's well over you know a hundred viable makers that are just solventless guys in California um, that we could invite. But Legends is always going to be 25 makers. It's never going to go above that number, um, and there's a reason for that because we're dealing with a highly intoxicating product that can take away your senses and alter your senses and make it really hard to figure out what is the best. And and if you add too many of those to the mix, it's all for what? Like you're, you know, you thought you made it better, you just made it worse. You made it where it's really fucking hard to give your opinion. If you look at Ego Clash, it's successful for the fact that like you're spending four and a half to six hours judging hash. That's what you're doing. Like that's the reality there. You're like it's like hash school. And you're like, oh, it's fucking SATs today. And like you're going in there and like, it's it's real. It's I don't know if you've ever sat in those rooms or been there. It's it's dark. It's like Cuban's not looking good. Like, it's tough, man. It's like half of these guys are not like nutritional fucking underdogs in the first place. So like you look at them and it's like fucking gray eyes, and they're fuck like they're trying to get through it, and they do, man. They, I mean, God bless every single one of them. Uh, they, they, they do and they judge it and they find a fucking winner. Like they really do get the input of every person in there and, and I have to give it to them, but it's a long arguous process that takes a long ass fucking time and it's huge commitment. So for us, it's like, how do we look at that and how do we like look at it from an experience standpoint and how do we, you know, how do we soften the blow and make it a little cooler? So for us, you know, motherships involved, um, uh, you know, there's some really cool things that we'll talk about that are, I mean, we have talked about them too. We've, what we've done too is we've gone to a lot of the makers that were at Legends and we've kept in touch with everybody. Um, and we've communicated a ton and really opened up a, a community of conversation with these guys to figure out like, what did you like the most? And what could we do better on? How do we fuck up? And, you know, what did we do wrong? And I haven't, you know, we did a full CONOPS, like, you know, concept of operations after the event where we sat down and really downloaded a ton of information individually. Like I did my own con ops, Kevin did his own. And then we came together and fucking pushed all that data together and said, oh, fuck yeah, we got a lot here. And then, you know, went back to Marcus and sat down and talked about, okay, in a perfect world, how can we fix some of these things? And what would our, you know, where, where did we fuck up in your eyes on this? And how did you fuck up in our eyes on this? And we all kind of put everything on the table. And that's, it's that sort of like openness and honesty, that's going to evolve that um you know and and if uh if in any way we can help bring more of that to the industry on other projects and other things uh that's what we're looking to do you know we're trying to do that with the fresh frozen we're trying to do that with um you know with other things too like we work with other breeders and other you know we're like i said we're close with um with chris at compound close with scherbinski and you know close with a bunch of these different guys that we you know, the conversation is uh, that's a different animal. That's not like a, a launch, you know, a pre to be launched genetics company. That's a very successful company with relationships with cookies and other intricate things going on. So how do you incorporate these guys? But what's cool is we do have like companies that we invited to legends that are regulated, you know, under wreck that couldn't be involved because I oh, oh, can't do that but they're coming back to us and being like, all right, how do we, how do we get involved in the next one? How do we, so it's, uh, there's a lot of value there. Um, and I think, you know I, I honestly think that like uh, within the next couple of years, what we're hoping to do is create an even bigger, uh, an in, even bigger environment uh, so that we can have maybe, you know, throw like a larger hash festival that's really celebrates hash and celebrates, gla- ce- celebrates glass and brings in all of our friends from the glass world and all of our friends from hash culture and hash production. And, and then that way we can have a festival or something, a multi-day event that's fully regulated that allows Papa's and all, all these companies to really come in and and have a booth that showcases their hash production. And, and we can have a, a pub crawl kind of a contest for any, ent- any person that comes to the event that can purchase hash from these using non-storefront sales licenses. and. And really create like a big event and then be able to if it's multiple days, you know, maybe on the first night we go to Tim and 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 Jana, and we do like secret session the first night. And then, you know, the second night we do the Legends of Hash dinner, all the makers are there. But then the second night uh, at your event, the, the end of your event, you actually have your award ceremony for whoever won the Hash event amongst the public and the general public gets to vote. So there's ways that you can kind of enhance this idea and bring it to a larger platform and, and let, let some people that don't know much about hash or about legends show them a stairway to get to that place and show them kind of a, you know, like, Hey, here's what the regulated hash market looks like. And here's, you know, I, I, I'm a big, I'm not a big fan of putting music with any of this. I don't think that's the smartest thing to do. I think the music industry is a lot like, uh, you know, it's like fucking butcher shops. It's a real messy business with, uh, with a lot of weird shit going on. So, um, you know, music can be played there and you don't have to pay anyone shit and you can have a lot of fun. Um, But then you also have like, we have friends like action and other guys like that, that would want to be involved, but I don't think they want to come and, you know, fucking, you know, Everlast doesn't want to come and strum a guitar. He'd rather come and take dabs and kind of hang out and same thing with action. So I think staying away from the music thing is safe to do um and just focusing on hash so we're kind of uh our bigger picture bigger plan with marcus and with all of this and we've already talked to to tim and those guys at secret session we've had these conversations is to is to do this for a couple years and then maybe take it to a bigger stage and take it to something where and then at that point we can bring legends back to like what it originally was which is like bring your hash come have dinner melt only you know sift the fucking heads to the illest like you know your favorite hash makers favorite hash maker might not have fucking made it in the room like do it that way so that it's like a pinnacle prime and you do that like every couple years and then you have your regular legends of hash dinners that are opened up and it's kind of you know it's a it's it's also a really interesting marketplace because there's education involved there's the cachet of like having a legend shirt of a past laminate there's all these different things that I think makers you know that we all consider like Super dope and and carry clout. So how do you monetize those things without cheapening them and turning them into like you know the fucking the Pokemon bullshit of something? You know you want it to to keep its value. And no offense to Pokemon, but you know overly oversaturated understanding of something. So, um. But yeah, I think that's you know we're looking to evolve it and bring it to a, a larger scale. We're looking to you know to let Marcus monetize it and make money. And of course, we're always. Like, we're always looking to make money because we have to make a living. But like, you know, you can, I've always said like, you can, I think it's a quote from I I don't know who the fuck it's a quote from, but it's like, make a living while you make a difference, you know, and, and everything you do, you kind of keep it in that lane and like, no one can say shit to you. But yeah, it's, it's, that's, that's my, my thought. I need to take yeah. a nap. No, it's not that, let's take that. Well, you've
3: been on just a, like a tear. Like, just lay it down. I'm just, this has been dope. No, this is like, how many wants been lit? Like seeing the, seeing the way that you see things and the way that you've experienced things and the way you like your lens. Awesome. Because you know, like I was a legacy guy. I, I came into the legal market and I'm kind of working my way out. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the things that you're saying, I'm just, I'm like, oh my God, like it's, it's resonating deep with me. And it's just like, man, not only are these things that I have to, that i struggle with in my professional life or that i've struggled with in my personal life it's just it's dope to see that like honestly you, you've come up with some some really creative solutions too and are working past it so it's Guarantee. you. it's it's
2: killer real yeah it's like ha- hash hash is a tribe act accordingly is kind of what it comes down to <laughs> don't get in here and start fuck because you're going to get called out you're going to get clowned out you're going to get like cool guy out of the roof super fast but there's room for everybody it's you know it's I, I love when you go to an event and you see like super fucking you know Mikey likes that or some crazy fucking heady boy with a with a fucking insane buck and then some random kid just walks up and is like, can I have a dab? And they're like, yeah, come here, fucking. And this kid's hitting a fucking two hundred fifty thousand dollar piece of glass and and like that's community. That's like this tribe, you know, that protects its its young and kind of sticks together and and like I love that part about it and I see it in that way because it's always that way. It's always For me, it's like, you know, your friends have these magic tokens that they hand to each other. And the magic tokens are what they made. And it's like, you'll get into a room and someone's like, and you're like, what the fuck? And then, you know, it's like me and Kevin went to 710 uh, on Monday. We had some meetings with Brad for some stuff that we were talking with them about. And it was great. Like Skelly was there. Brad was there. We sat down. And it's fucking nuts, dude. Like, you walk through this, like, fucking madison avenue office setting of glass and every room has a fucking you know the 710 rub and the neon thing and you're going through marketing and you're going through all this and you get into the back and you sit into this room and it was a fucking great feeling because it's like we're sitting in we're sitting in the office and we're conducting business how we conduct business and we have a meeting to discuss a product that we're we're bringing in from an international you know, licensing deal. But as soon as we get done talking business, there's dab rights on the table, and there's you know beautiful pieces of glass, and we're talking, you know, we take some dabs and Brad's like, oh look at these new ones. And you know, we're dabbing Randy Watson and fucking I am saying no it's like, oh, we got this Q-tips thing that could fucking see your hand and it opens up. He you puts I'm like oh, fuck. And, and then they'd make they made this. This is crazy. They created this. So Check this out. So this is a stain pen oh, that's oil. That's cool. and it has ISO in it. And then these pads attached to the bottom, and you squeeze it, and ISO comes out. And then you can use it to like get dab stains out of your clothing. you good good Oh, own. that is awesome. Yeah, like cool shit. You know, just inventing cool. So they got an accessories line that they're coming out with now. um But just getting to go there and getting to see this, and then you know leaving there and going out, you know, they're in the Mercedes Benz building in fucking Beverly Hills. I'm like, you leave there and you walk out of that place and you're just like, wow, that's our industry. This is where we are specifically hash. This is where our community is. And there's cool fucking people that love this, this hair, you know, this whole, this whole culture so much that that's where their head is. And they're going and they have so much leeway in their company that the numbers guy needs to shut the fuck up because we just made a fucking, an an oil stain pen. Okay. Like, calm down numbers guy. This is going to work. Like that's, that's, that's us winning collectively as a, as a team, you know, as a community, that's all of us winning. And like, you know, our, our fucking community isn't, isn't dried flour in Mylar bags. Like it's not, it's not like bait and switch packaging. That's not our fucking industry. You know, like the post I made the other day, like, the nail tells you everything that the fucking grower didn't. Like, this shit is so provable to the point where, like, I can look at the nail afterward. And no matter what my brain told me, that nail's not going to lie to me. I, if, sure, I may recognize that I hit it at too high of a heat and I need to calm down a bit and change my temps, you know, all these things, but like, it doesn't lie. And like, it's a very honest industry that we're in. Our, our sect of the industry, I figure, I consider it to be like, it's the most coveted part. It's the, it's the still pure protected part, you know, because the breeders breeding mostly for flower and for that other end of the industry. But now we're showing them that like, hey, there's value here too. And you can diversify your offering by, by providing stuff for us as well. And then look at all this does. And then never mind if you look at data right now, the whole vacuum that, that dab, you know, so you got, so the way they categorize all this in terms of commerce, is they look at it and they say the, the concentrate market, right? But a percentage of the concentrate market is dabable, and a percentage of the concentrate market is like vapor. Okay. When you look at that market over the last year or two years, there's a huge dip in vapor because distillate went away in a sense. But when you look now and you see what's regaining the most strength in the market, two things, rosin trucking, uh mm-hmm. rosin pre-rolls. And rosin fucking dabble and rosin vape pens. Interesting. Just screaming up in numbers. And I'm talking like, dude, the dabble, what we figured out right now in California, uh, dabble market um, is roughly $300 million, like $290 something million. dollars. So of that, what percentage of it is rosin? And when you look at that, you're at about 94%. 95 million, close to like a hundred million dollars, just in, in solventless sales. And what's really good. So when you break it all down and you look at it and you know, we're doing this stuff so that we can get an understanding of like, what, what's true value in our industry, what's really going on. It makes it tough sometimes because some of these data guys, they're skewing the data in a certain way to benefit their customer. Um, because The customer's taking the data and presenting it to investors to get more money. And if you can make it look like one thing, then you can obviously get it. So when you really look at the true data, uh, those numbers could be a little different than what we're talking about. It could be even less, you know, it could be maybe 50 to 60 million or something like that, instead of 90 something. So, but still we're talking about a lot of money and trends, like what's happening in there and if, and if you're seeing way more business come back from solving this now, then you need more inputs you need better inputs and you need a better supply chain to be able to, to get that stuff going. And the one thing we're never going to get rid of is bullshitters. The one thing we're never going to get rid of is like hucksters and charlatans and, and liars and all that shit. But I like where we're at because there's truth in what we do. You can't fudge these numbers. You can't bullshit this stuff, you know, and there's a lot of bullshit in a lot of other ends of our industry. So, you know, it's like, I don't know if if someone I respect tells me that this hash that they hand me is good. And I know it's trash. I'm done respecting that person. I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, cool. If you found not, your number. I'm like, you found your number dog. Like, cool. Yeah,
0: right. I got you. Like, I got you. Or somebody hit. Yeah. A hundred percent. What do you have on right now? Me? Yeah. Other way. Bolden ads. Woo! Nice. I like the wood grain.
3: That looks beautiful. Yeah,
0: those are
2: nice. This is what I was dabbing on last night. I think I posted a video of it. I took uh I took Frosties, um, Papa's, and another one. And then those are here. Just some, a some big flags from yesterday. <laughs> and we'll see what
0: happens
1: Are you,
0: uh, you exclusively smoking uh Hat hash like those flags off, uh, your email, and then yeah, you smoke rods and off your rigs,
2: yeah, yeah. I won't I won't smoke melt in a, in a slurper. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. It's just it's not. I don't. I mean, personally, I just don't think it's you know the best way for me to consume it. Um, yeah. Like my favorite thing on a slurper. No, not even kidding. What I think is the best is like some fresh diamonds from Diamond Baron of like weird shit that Dave will make, um, be straight BHO. Like, no, I have no problem with it. Uh,
3: I was just going to ask that if you're done with if you're still dab at BHO? No,
2: not at all. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it just depends, man. It's like, it, it's, it's all, it's all an input. It's like, you know, proteins, protein. And you know, you might have a favorite one, but it's still just protein. And I look at it as like, uh, if I want to get fucking roasted, like, if I'm looking if I'm looking to like forget where they touched me, um I'm going for BHO, you know? <laughs> like that's what I'm going for. But you know, diamonds with some soft, you know, my buddy owns uh and we work really closely with Holy Water. So um, you know, he'll send me some shit sometimes that's just fucking beautiful. That tech is super cool, dude. Or I'll run into like, you know, the guys from my paper planes and they give me some cheap ass fucking you know Kyle will give me like this cheap ass uh shatter and it'll be like an OG shatter and I'll dab that and be like fuck yeah so like it doesn't matter it's just you know uh some of my favorite stuff now is even like one of my favorites is a uh, secret society hash co out of Vegas they're not even Cali kids they have like and the reason for that and the reason I love it is cuz you've got guys who are hunting strains from the Colorado market the California market and the the New Mexico market and so you see different genetics in there. So, you know, if you're able to get stuff from Vegas, if you're able to get stuff from, um, Los Angeles, if you're able to get stuff from Colorado, what you're really getting is different cultivars that are popular in those regions. So you can expand what you're trying and get into it. So I've been really liking the, the liking their stuff. I love Taylor's stuff from T Bezel. like his shit, like lemon kombucha and some of the new stuff's fucking crazy from like little Lake Valley Seed Co. One of my favorites is resin. You know, Alex Poofer is like one of my, one of my best friends and he's in town here and he'll come through with some 90U of like Sour Diesel, like their reserve stuff, which is, and I'll, I'll be honest, like I'm not one of those guys who's going to pretend that like a full spec is, is my favorite. Like I like 9120, like that's my favorite. It just happens to have like better flavor, better taste. And, um, and it's kind of bougie, but it is, you know, once you get to (laughs) it, you get to understand like what the cream really is. Um, 9120 tends to, if you you make run, if you, every time you make a run, if you took a little bit of the 9120 and you put it together and put it aside and then full spec everything and kept doing that. And then was letting everyone try everything. Everyone would go towards the 9120. There's no, you know, it's, it's just prime. It's just for heads and everything else. It just has a better flavor. But If you have a sustainable business, can you really do that? You know, and and if you're not etching out a greater margin or sorry, etching out a margin for that stuff, then you're taking away from your bulk on your other side. So you got to. I want to talk about about that that
0: a little bit. Yes, sir. I want to talk about that. And I want to see, you know, what innovation are you seeing on utilizing the off bags? You know, the the undesirable microns and second presses in the market. Are you seeing any really outstanding innovation where, where makers are, are turning, you know, what would be something that would be of low value and, and, you know, referred to as food grade in our industry into something that they can, they can turn into a higher
2: value product. Yeah. Like my hat goes off to 710 and to Pappas for, you know, introducing straight specific edibles. And that's a great way to, to pass on, um, you know, that material. Uh, and make sure like, you know, the, the, the tail to nose theory and concept of ancestral living is applied to cannabis as well. And like, you're using every fucking thing you got there. And like, when you go ahead and and now like, dude, I was blown away, like even being, you know, being associated with chibichus and, and green hornets and, you know, they're not at a place yet where they're offering a solventless specific strain, specific solventless edible in California. but. When I tried, you know, Brad sent us the Seven Ten Labs ones. I ate all I ate all 100 milligrams in like five minutes uh, with the Papa Select. Like they sent me some of theirs, and like I ate all of them. When they (laughs) said they gave me like a bag of them with like throw it, it was like pineapple. There was one that they had that was like, uh, like, and if you work with hash a lot and you get it on your fingers, you you're always like, like you eat it. And then it's in your mouth and it's like stuck to your tooth and it's doing its thing, right? It's in your mouth and it's you've introduced it. You've introduced a non-water-soluble compound into a water-soluble situation, right? And that's really what you did. But it kind of floats around and you can taste it. And certain strains like, you know, like fucking pineapple, kush, and different things like that are very affy and have a lot of flavor to them. What these guys are doing is they're taking flavoring and pairing it with that flavor and finding the perfect place with the fruit flavor, the pectin fruit flavor. Cause a lot of these are like all pectin, no gelatin. And I, like I said, I got to take my hat off to them. Like they, they, they will slide you into a fucking edible coma pretty easily too, because they're, it's a great way to transfer those compounds. It's a great way to use that material. And they are, they're using like the 45 and the other stuff, the 25, the things that are less desirable. There's not so much concern about how it looks in terms of aesthetics or color. Um, it's just about the taste and that it's there and that there's actives there that you're able to benefit from. So, um, you know, they activate, they heat that stuff up, they activate it, they put it in there. And uh, I think edibles is really where you're going to see. And and like, again, like, dude, fucking Taylor from T. Diesel. I don't know if you follow his pages. Like he has a fucking, he has like, food brands like he's got fucking hot sauce and he's making cheesecakes and he gets me up one day and he's like oh i made you some ice cream that's fucking 200 or 300 milligrams and i'm like i'm not fucking eating that like what are you trying to do bro like you're binding this shit with fat and you're gonna get them i'll die like i can't eat that ice cream he's like oh whatever and it's like but the point is is you've got guys that are fucking incredible hash makers that are really really good at what they do. That are now getting into confections and getting into other stuff and like steam wow. distillation of terpenes and then re adding that back to a gummy uh, along with the the twenty five and the and the, the forty five. Like, I'm just seeing cool ass shit that's really really tasty. Um, my least favorite sorry, thing that I'm, seeing, I'm sorry, like my least my least favorite thing that I'm seeing in a, and I said it before is like the fucking dude who is like mj biz conning you and he's he's telling you about the new pro right now we got a product we're working on and yeah, that's it's like and that's usually the last time i ever hear about it too which is cool you know like bro you know we're gonna change the whole industry and i'm like oh yeah cool yeah. Um, but what i love about the rosin stuff and the edibles is that it hasn't been that way it's really honest it's really yeah. straightforward and kind of cool and like and fucking dude for like trap brands like Ogre with like s'mores and shit where like they give you this kit and then you use your torch to fucking heat up the s'more while you're for your edible and shit. Like, dude, who are are the guys
0: in Cali who have like the shaman edibles and they almost have like a spicy chili in their their edible? And, oh, man, I I had one and it was so, I'm going to forget. I'll I'll remember their name later, but I can't remember.
2: I think it is Ogre. They had like the papaya. Yeah, but there was like
0: little oh man it was it was, yeah, it was yeah. like it was so good i think i that might have been that man i was so impressed no by that.
2: they did it i think there was um there's a couple different ones man that are really just getting creative and then the other thing too is like caps you know getting into like rosin caps that are just fully you know you're getting a, a non-gelatin capsule yeah. with just rosin oil in it and, you know, a lot of people are, are really digging that too, because you are getting a full spectrum. Some of those guys are taking full micron runs, uh, you know, then putting it into the, into the, uh, the oven, getting it to turn to a jelly and then, you know, s- siphoning off but siphoning off and then getting that to go into like, you know, sometimes a coconut oil or something. A lot of guys are kind of moving away from the coconut to some other different seed oils that are kind of interesting, but um, Nikki posted a the, the other day about another oil that was like a different one. But um yeah, just seeing like cool cool shit always, hemp seed oil. Todd's always like it's hemp seed oil. It's
0: the it's the best thing to to use. And and I've been yeah. I've been in his kitchen
2: for for that lecture and loved it. It's good for your beer. Yeah, oh for sure. So um, I'm gonna mute for a second while I heat this thing up because I don't want to do it. Yeah, so I don't know if you guys are like you know, sponsor or something, but I'll do this and well, then yeah, okay. no. get stabbed <laughs> up.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I guess we're putting you on the spot so you don't have breaks to take to your dad. I
1: got you. I'll mute you.
0: You'll mute me. Okay, Perfect.
1: thank
0: you. So, all no, I think it. it's a really cool perspective to see from, from somebody who touches a lot of hash makers. So, I think that that's really cool. Cool. Uh, perspective on the Cali market for sure so uh, a, go ahead I'm very excited to get the Egyptian on on the uh, I think it's the 16th if I'm remembering correctly and talk more about that he's been changing the game up here in Canada with those hash cones um, and he's been utilizing a lot of those off microns and creating some really cool products so I'm, I'm really excited to have him on and, and chat with him I think uh more and more people are going to get to know him and and uh you know he's going to make a pretty big impact on the market so i'm pretty excited to have him on and and talk about that because i think he's one of the guys who's doing unique stuff in, in a way that is kind of an homage to what was done 10 11 years ago by guys like marcus um but is being curated in a way in the canadian space that is resonating really well with being like with heads with with legacy consumers I mean I smoke minimal amounts of flour um, but smoking those hash wraps is an absolute delight um, it's super smooth you know you can take it all the way down and and uh, I I mean I got one I immediately wanted more and so uh, I I get what the hype is about there and I, I'm super excited to have uh, have the Egyptian on, and, and really excited to, to chat with him. Big dab, big dab time. I could take it all. I love how you
1: stand up to dab. It's like you you get we ready to the- you know you're gonna get you're gonna get your ass kicked and sit back down. Well, I always breathe too. I'm like,
2: it's like yoga. Yeah, you, you can't bend over just- like
1: ready for a dab,
2: and they're not breathing. And I'm like, dude, how do you expect to take a big dab if you're not like? <laughs> <laughs> jameson you hear that breath control I, I guess i
0: gotta well i at least i lift it to me i mean what i found is if i ever tried to like come down to a table to do a dab you can't really you know breathe into it so you want to want to lift the piece up if it's not too expensive i'll lift it up if it's over twenty thousand dollars i'll probably
3: leave it up
2: Just it all breaks no point <laughs>
3: i hope not bro i fucking hope not <laughs> Not say that again, please. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, eventually, at some point in time. Yeah, as long as it's not in my hands. Yeah, I was going to say your life was. Yeah, that's the other side. Yes. Yes. You've got a Wednesday show coming up, too. Yeah, we're talking to George Super stoked
0: about that. Backwash tech. Let me go down the rabbit hole with George. We've got, uh, he runs LA Family Farms. where he does uh true single source in-house processing and is given out a check to a lot of homies. Van Egyptian being one of them. And uh, so, yeah, we're super stoked to have George on, on Wednesday. <laughs> what's Sunday? Is Sunday uh, Papa Select? Oh, what's that? No, I was just asking, we've got, uh, just talking about the lineup of guests we're having on while you were taking your dab, but I wanted to ask you, Addison, um, you know, as we wrap up, uh, who, what advice do you have for individuals who aren't, have been in the industry and are looking to stay in the industry and, and. What, and it opposed to what advice you have for people looking to get into the industry who are coming from other industries right now?
2: Well, I, mean, I think be realistic again, you know, like just because you have access to somebody and you can reach out to them doesn't mean that it's their responsibility to to open doors for you and you know and give you an opportunity. I think it's you know, it's everyone wants everything right away you think why tiktok became so popular is because they figured out a way to make a video get fucking 40,000 views in 40 seconds and and make the person think that they're the most popular person in the world so um one thing is be realistic you know understand that the people you might be talking to or the people that you're talking to that are successful at this the 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 odds against them and the the prize that they had in front of them uh wasn't always the same thing and the the, the restrictions and the the ramifications for what they do hasn't always been the same thing so the the odds have changed um the goalposts have moved and some of these people are still fucking here you know they're still doing it they've adjusted to it you know they've taken um you know nietzsche's fucking uh quote to the next level that the only constant is change and you know it hasn't taken them off and what's amazing about it what i think's really cool is that you're talking about mavericks you know, so when people are reaching out and they're they're DMing people online and they're like, "Hey, I got a question for you." <clears throat> just remember too, that those people own consulting companies and then make money by answering questions. So you know, the way you present yourself and with respect and 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 you know, and a lot of people are good at it, and because I see it all the time. But just remember that that like the information that you're getting or asking for for free is how that person puts oil on their nail or, you know, pays their rent. So, you know, be, be kind and and nice and be realistic, of course, put yourself in that position, what you would, how you would be. Um, But really like, you know, just whatever, you know, understand yourself and know what you're good at. We're all good at different stuff. And whatever you're good at, what's cool about cannabis is that it's necessary. There's, you need accountants and you need bean counters. You need people that motivate people. You need general managers. You need all these different people that you know, and whatever you're working at, whatever you're doing, <coughs> what always helped me in life is like, remember, if you're the hardest fucking working person in the room all the time, that's the key. You know, if you're like, when you get done with work and you leave, if you're a bud tender and you go home and you find out that you've got new strains coming in next week from someone you've never heard of, then research it. get Educate yourself on things and be the most <coughs> knowledgeable, hardest working person in the and be humble and and you know bring all that stuff to the table. That's that's how you get a job, is by being like a good candidate and not fucking you know being a, a rumor mill and all these other fucking things. And like <laughs> be observant, like look around and see what other people they're doing that's not working, and don't do that shit, you know. And and be honest. And but yeah, I mean, I think that uh just don't be afraid to ask. Like a closed mouth does not get fed, but don't run in there. Just you know. you know, some people try to like, uh, get somebody's attention in the, in the wrong way. And then it's like, oh, I'm just walking around, bro. And it's like, all right, well, okay. You know, so, but I think there's a lot of opportunity. I think there's a ton of, uh, a ton of different jobs that people can get into and be patient and understand that, you know, you you may want to be the extractor or the guy, the top guy, but you're going to come in as, you know, the packaging dude. And just be humble and understand that like none of us got to where we're at by, you know, overnight and, and, uh, and anything like that. And the respect is earned that people have. So you got to be willing to earn that respect. And like a a cool thing I learned the other day when I was, I was talking to you guys about, uh, and it's good to end it on this too, is like, we were talking about manifestation, you know, and, and those things. And like, uh, you can't share too much about it because the negative perspective of it is going to affect it. But the other thing is, is that, and I posted about this, that like, you have to envision yourself doing that work. Yeah. You can't just envision yourself and, and picture all these great things in your life because the next question is going to be, why do you deserve that? And the answer always to why you deserve it is all the fucking hard work you did to get it. That's always the answer. And it's always going to be the answer. So like when you want to picture this amazing fucking life, so like say you want to come into cannabis you want to be in the industry and you want to be, you know, the next swerve and and breeder, whoever, you know, you want to be the next from compound or Shubensky or maybe you want to be the next Brandon from, from, you know, third gen, who's a breeder and a hash maker, maybe whoever, you know, you or, or myself and just look at, you know, look at the reality of that situation again and how much work it takes. So now instead of just envisioning the prize, envision all the fucking work. Because what they say is that when it comes time to put in the work, because you've envisioned it already and you know it's there, you know what to expect and you're willing to do it and you don't let yourself down. And that's like a, a just something I just learned the other day and it made so much fucking sense. I was like, motherfucker, I've always envisioned just winning the lottery and what I would say, I never even envisioned myself walking into the fucking store and buying the ticket. Like, you know, like you got to. The whole picture. The universe wants to hear that whole fucking story so that it can put the punctuation on it. So, yep. yeah.
0: Wow. that's awesome. How can people find you? Where, where's the 800 pounds mantra? Like, is that com?
2: Yeah. You can go to 800 pounds mantra.com. You can go to pyramidpipeline.com. Uh, you can go to Instagram at pyramidpipeline or 800 pounds mantra. Uh, if you want to look at the stupid shit that I'm doing, you can go to Turpova on Instagram or you can go to Kevin's Instagram which is Kevin lives life uh and then Kevin also has a Kev, a photography one Kevin shoots life uh and, cool. and if you get a chance this uh if I'm going to promote anything Kevin made some NFTs that are kind of cool uh he put those out so if you get a chance go take a look at uh Kev's NFTs and maybe grab one of those and support him um First but
0: yeah NFL, right he did that
2: yeah NFL. yeah 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 super <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Addison, thank you so much for your time, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate all the insight. Much appreciate I, I, you. I can't say enough. Thank you, man. I, I I really enjoyed this time.
2: Thank you, guys. Now that all the pressure's off, I'm going to take a regular down and I'll get to do some stuff. So.
3: Yeah, yeah. Go. I will rip her. All right. Thank you, guys. For much love, man. Thanks appreciate again. you, guys. Be well. Thanks again for tuning in, everybody. <laughs>
2: ek 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 ek